This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Potodri for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! Red slight of foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 64 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it is Graham Steele. Graham, how's it going? Good, thank you. Pretty high spirits after that demolition job yesterday, which I'm very much looking forward to discussing. Absolutely. And now we are missing a certain Gavin J. Baxter this week as he's too busy being reamed for pints in Norway. But we'll try our best to cope without our resident craft beer gimp, won't we, Graham? We certainly will. I think we'll manage. You can, you can see what I'm drinking is uh, not from the craft beer variety. It's not vitamin tea for you tonight. Um, you'll like that one, though, Graham. You, you like a bit. Oh, of, that does look quite delicious. To uh, a nice little triple fruited mango. Lovely stuff. Anyway, in a week that saw Mark McGee announce his retirement from management. Why didn't this get anywhere near the coverage it should have done? Like, I don't want to know about the exchange rate in my mortgage being fucking multiplied <laughs> by goodness knows what. Mark McGee retired and I didn't even know about this. Exactly. What can you say? Liz Trust got a lot to answer for, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Seen off one Queen, one Mark McGee and crash the economy in the space of four weeks. Which one was the worst? You tell us, listeners. That saw Robbie Nielsen unveil his brand new sick boy look, all the while insisting that his heart side would attempt to lay a glove on their big brothers from Glasgow before taking a solid 4-0 thumping. But Sosevco 5088 Limited found guilty of price fixing on replica jerseys and decided that the best way to pay that fine was to rinse their idiot support for more cash by releasing a fourth kit. And it saw all of us have to swallow some pride and admit that Ryan Portis did all right against Ukraine for Scotland. What do you think, Graham? I did not see the match, but by all accounts, he did play well. So credit where credit's due. Not well, did okay. Doesn't make him less of an arsehole, but no. fair enough. He didn't uh, didn't cost us, which is all that matters. Still a shit gibbon, but, you know, did all right. So there we go. Anyway, it's another busy week on the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at our 4-1 win over Derek McInnes' Kilmarnock on Saturday. We take a look back at all the news from AB24 this week. We take a look at Loom Watch, the young team, and the women's team following their 5-0 defeat to Glasgow City in the SWPL League Cup on Sunday. We're going to preview next Saturday evening's kickoff in Dundee as the Dons travel to Tannadice for the first time this season. And we'll do so in the company of David Hennessy from the Football, Beer and Punk Rock podcast. And after the break, I told you it was a bumper episode. It's the latest in our line of interviews with Dons personalities of past and present. This time, part three of our conversation with a true legend of Aberdeen Football Club in the form of Jockey Scott. And this time we focus in on the 1990 Scottish Cup final. That day in May in Ibrox, 
and decisions that led to his departure from the Dons. But first, Aberdeen 4, Kilmarnock 1, the SPFL Premiership, the 1st of October 2022, the home of football, Pataudry Stadium, 572 days after their departure from Pataudry, Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty were back in their familiar dugout as their Kilmarnock side visited the Granite City in desperate need of some sort of result on the road following a stuttering start to life back in the top flight. Manager Jim Goodwin making two changes to the starting 11 from defeat at Easter Road last time out. Marley Watkins coming in for his first start of the campaign alongside Matty Kennedy in place of Duke and the suspended Liam Scale. 17-year-old Dylan Lobbin making his way onto the Dons bench for the first time after impressing in the under-18s in recent weeks. The Dons lining up in... A sort of hybrid 4-4-2-4-3-3-4-1-3-2-4-1-2-2-1. Hard to really tell, to be quite honest, what the fuck uh, we're doing. Just to be clear, we had 11 guys out there is how I saw it. We did have 11. I'm pretty sure that was the case. Um, Ross McCrory, as expected, uh, partnering Anthony Stewart in the centre of defence. Ilba Ramadani is the deepest lying centre midfielder. And then with like kind of Matty Kennedy in the main kind of playing closest to Ramadani with Bajowin kind of on the other side although really in a free role Hayes and Watkins supporting Mayofsky but Watkins was kind of acting more as a number 10 than as a wide player it was a very odd setup it's fair to say it wasn't conventional um, but it seemed to do the job and we'll get on to that later on in a minute and it was the home side who started most positively it had early appeals for a penalty waved away by Kevin Clancy there's a surprise as Miofsky and Mayo tangled while trying to meet a Hayes cross. Coulson with an effort from distance, which flew over on 60 minutes before Coulson drew Jordan Jones in for a crude challenge, which saw the ex-Sevconian booked. The Dons finally got the breakthrough, though, that their early play deserved on 22 minutes. Hayes' cross ball was diverted beautifully by Ash Taylor into the centre of the box for an onrushing Bajowin to cutely finish past hemming sticky toffee puddings all around. Two minutes later... The Dons had doubled their lead. Marley Watkins latching onto a lofted ball into the Kelly box. And with Hemming having made an initial block, Miofsky followed up and was brought down by the hapless keeper with the Macedonian International dusting himself off and sliding his penalty into the bottom left-hand corner. And at that point, you thought the Dons were pretty much on easy street. But hey, it's Aberdeen. And despite that early domination being two goals to the good, the Dons had to stick to the script conceding a soft goal from, that's right, Ash Taylor as his header from a Polworth corner nestled beyond Roos for his third goal of the season. Kilmarnock's first on the road this campaign, and that makes Ash Taylor, he's, he scored three times as many goals as any other Kilmarnock player this season. There you go. Yikes. Hashtag data. Thankfully, though, the Dons settled and regained control of the game before making it 3-1 on the stroke of halftime. Coles from the driving run into the box from deep, darting between Taylor and an on-rushing Hemming before squaring to Miofsky, whose first effort was blocked by Wright on the line. But the Dons number nine reacted brilliantly to dink the rebound up and over the stranded defender into the empty net. Halftime. Aberdeen three, Kilmarnock one, and into the second half, and Kel Roos did his best to let Kilmarnock back in the game, dallying on the ball 25 yards from goal before having his clearance knocked down by Doidge, but his cross ball was cut out by McCrory to deny a certain goal. Ash Taylor, I'm speculating here, perhaps becoming more wound up by songs from the Red Shed, don't know, made his way into the book after bringing down Matty Kennedy crudely on 51 minutes before Coulson came close again. This time, another Maisie run into the box, finishing with a tame effort that Hemming palmed away. But the Dons finally did make it four on 64 minutes. A Hayes corner 
headed home by Captain Anthony Stewart, fighting his way past Ash Taylor and some other Killy Bozo, I didn't see who it was, to get his head on the ball, his first goal for the club, and to seal the points. The Dons made their first changes on 67 minutes. Shaden Morris and Duke replacing Watkins and Miofsky before a triple change on 80 minutes that saw me get all confused on the Twitter. Kennedy, Bajowin and Hayes departing to be replaced by Jack Mill, Christian Ramirez and Ryan Duncan, not the other way around. And a decent effort from Ramirez, palmed away by Hemming. Pretty much the only thing of note in the final 10 minutes as the Dons ran out. Four winners in the sunshine and with results over the course of the weekend, up to fifth in the table with a visit to bottom side, Dundee United coming up next week. On the data front, we're all about the hashtag data. Possession 60% in favour to the Dons, 40% for Kilmarnock. Shots 16 to 7 in favour of the Dons. Shots on target 8 to 3 in favour of the home side. Expected goals Aberdeen 2.24 to not 0.47 for the visitors. Graham, your thoughts on what was actually turned out to be a relatively comfortable afternoon in the Pataudry sunshine? That's just what I was going to say. First and foremost, the three points, which is pretty much the be-all and end-all of every Saturday, really. So got the points, much needed. But the game was easier than I expected. And then, I mean, Kilmarnock didn't really put up a great deal of resistance. They weren't as stuffy as I thought they would as they would be. But that's not to take anything away from the Aberdeen performance. I actually really enjoyed that game. There's been a few games this season where we maybe got through it. You know, like St. Johnston, it was a great free kick from Clarkson, but it wasn't necessarily... I think we were, you know, we were comfortable, but it yeah. wasn't necessarily a great game whereas I really enjoyed Saturday actually um, I'm not seeing Coulson for a wee while actually but I was really quite impressed with him thought he did well Kennedy um, can I ever make my mind up about him <laughs> so, like so Saturday but Kennedy I thought I had a decent game I can absolutely see his value yeah. in the squad based on that performance but I know he'll he'll get a game probably this weekend and I'll watch him and just think how the hell is he at Aberdeen he just seems to blow like boiling or freezing but he did come in did well Watkins was pretty good actually um, so yeah overall I really quite enjoyed that actually I thought we played some good football at times uh, we were chatting you know there were a few sort of passages of play where the guy was just on his heels or the pass was just not quite right and you feel like if we can keep working on that it's all less buts and maybes but it really doesn't feel like we're too far off actually having a pretty handy team here. Yeah, we said that to ourselves, I think, during the, during the second half, didn't we? There was a, there was a pass to play, I think, that happened just in front of us. We were in our slightly um, different seats yesterday in the main stand. There was a little pass to play up in front of us. I think it was after Morrison that came on, actually. It was dying embers of the game. And there was a nice little bit of interplay, and it just didn't quite come off. It was The pass was just not quite right. And I think we just remarked, it was like, we're kind of just that touch away from being, I think, a really, really good side. Um yeah, because I think time. what was good about that particular bit was, okay, the I think it was the final pass was a little bit yeah. way where there wasn't you know wasn't quite right, but you had guys making like playing the ball and either someone's available for an easy pass back if need be or someone's making a run off and people are looking for the runs. You know, it was just a little bit more exciting than it has been laterally where someone sort of passes and stops and well, okay, that's fine, but. What's your creative player going to do now? Just pass it back. That's a bit boring. This this was... Um, I mean, Kilmarnock weren't as sort of in your face as I thought they would be. But that being said, you should look good if you've got a bit more time in the ball. And there were definitely flashes in that game where 
we were starting to look like uh, there might be the beginnings of a decent creative side there, actually. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think the interesting part for me yesterday as well was that we started the game well, which is something yeah. we've not done a lot of this season. Um, obviously, we started the game at Easter Road well, but then just retreated in our shell. The good thing about yesterday is we get a goal up and then we kind of get straight up the park and we're 2-0 up all of a sudden very quickly, which was, you know, I, I always think in games like this as well, where if you do get that early break to do it, it's, it's great because it does force the opposition team to have to come out of that a little bit further. But if you can really, you know, go out there and, and really impose yourself by getting a second goal in games like that, it really just sets the tone. And I thought in terms of playing teams like Kamark at Pataudry, that's about as good as I've seen us do against 11 men for, for quite some time. Um, let's let's turn to some of the, the more kind of specific things about yesterday's performance. I mean, I think before the game and in last week's episode, we were kind of questioning a lot about what would happen in terms of Liam Scales being suspended and, and what sort of setup would we go for. Um, I don't think any of us really wanted to see Ross McCrory back at centre-half, but that's what happened, which is, I think, what we were expecting, even though we didn't want to see it. The surprise was when the team lineup came out, I looked at it and I assumed either we'd play with just one holding midfielder, which is kind of what we did. We'll come on to it in a minute. But I was expecting that it might have been Hayes who was maybe going to be playing maybe a touch more in the field. So when we kicked off and it was Matt Kennedy who was the one kind of playing closest to Ramadani, I did think that's a bold choice um, by Goodwin. But I thought Matt Kennedy had a really, really good game yesterday afternoon. And you're right. It's one of those games where it's like, you end up then going, maybe there's a player there in Matt Kennedy that's of real value to us in our squad. Yeah, and I'll flip-flop probably week week about on Matt Kennedy. Overall, I'm still not, I'm not seeing nearly enough to suggest that he's now the quality I would want in an Aberdeen team, but he did a really good job on Saturday, so no no criticism for his performance on Saturday, and still not convinced he's good enough to be in that team week in, week out, but you're going to need guys in your squad and if you can come in and play like that now and again when he gets into the team great um, you know long may that continue Matty Busquets there we go <laughs> but he was good I thought he did well yesterday he was good. no he was good genuinely he was he was good um, I don't mean you know, he was he was alright or he was better than I thought I genuinely he, he yeah was good. I thought he had a good game yesterday I really did um, I thought the good thing about Kennedy is at least he's got a lot of energy about him and he's willing to run like, no matter what so in the set of the park, at least it did give us a lot of energy in there. And I think that helped us overall with the way that we kind of overran the midfield um, yesterday as well. Let's look at um, Bojan Miofsky. Um Bizarrely, I, I was seeing some people after the game at Easter Road a few weeks back, you know, he, he missed a sitter towards the back end of that game. But let's be honest, it doesn't really, it wouldn't have changed the result anyway. We, we weren't getting anything out of that game. I saw a lot of people starting to kind of, kind of be taking the view that oh, like he's not as good as he's been made out to be because of his performances at Ross County and against Hibs. Um, so, obviously, he scored, he scored a fucking cracking on goal on international duty as well. So, I think it was good for him to get back up and running in terms of goals. Um, two very different goals. Again, the penalty, first of all, he's clever to win it, I think is probably the, the best way to put it. Um, good finish, though, from penalty spot. But the second goal, I really, really like the second goal because... It's that instinctive ability of a, of, of, of a quality finisher that the first shot gets blocked, he realises he sat the boy down and he's got the composure and the thought process just to dink it up and over the top of him rather than try to like smash it back in the same direction or something. I think that was the really good things when there's all the sort of chaos going on. He's the guy that's like, that's fine, I've got the time, the ball's going to come to me. I'll, yeah, I'll loft it and no one's getting that 
uh, really, really good, which you can't, from where we were sitting, couldn't really appreciate yeah. that at the time because you just see the ball sort of bouncing around and then it's in the net. Didn't really realise how good that was. All I will say on that goal was the run from Coulson. Ah, unbelievable. Again, from where we were sitting, can't, they couldn't really get an angle of that pitch. I was watching the highlights again. It's absolutely brilliant. He just sort of sized up defenders and that's fine. Don't know where that pace came from. Blast past him, once in the box. If you want to go flying in, great. It's a penalty. If you don't, he's going to do. hopefully do something with it. Great little sort of pass back. Uh, that, that was really, really good work from Coulson to create all of that. So, yeah, there was a lot to like about that because I know what you mean about Mayovsky. He got off to a really good start and I think since probably Rooney, we've been crying out for a regular goal scorer and... You know, things start off and you're like, right, this is going to be the season. We're going to have regular goals. That's going to give us a real boost. And then, I mean, the exception probably Duke, everyone was murdered against Ross County. I don't really think he should be singled out personally. That game was just garbage. Um, Hibbs, like you said, the miss was pretty embarrassing for someone at this level, but everyone's going to do it. These things happen. And it wasn't a defining moment. It wasn't, no. you know, it wasn't like it was nil nil. We've been absolutely battered, and there was your, there was your, um, there was your chance, your one moment. Yeah, exactly. So I was a little bit concerned that he maybe dropped off a little bit, but I think he's it's difficult to score one or more each week, and the kind of finishes he's had leads me to think there's enough about him, and there's enough variation of his goals that he's going to keep going. I think anyone that watches football and knows anything about it can see that there's a quality player in Miofsky. like you say even just because of the sheer range of goals he's scored so far for us, you know, we've seen really good header against Motherwell. We've seen um, the ability to finish one-on-one against Livingston, did it twice. One of them was, was offside. Good penalty taker. Um, Tappins, he's, he's got himself into good areas for for Tappins and stuff like that. You know, he's a very good player. And I, I, what I do like about Miofsky, he's got a good work rate about him as well, I think. I think his work rate... got a good work good. rate. And I think he... He can link up and, you know, he can maybe drop deeper, do some, take the ball, play a pass. It's not just, it's really stupid, he doesn't just score goals because he's a quite a well-rounded player, Yeah, I would say. So even in those games where maybe if it's not him that scores, there's probably a chance that he's been creating for someone. So he's got a bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's always good for your, for your striker to be back on the score sheet. Um, penalties, yeah, fine, they all count, but it's nice to get goals from open play as well. Yeah, absolutely. Same probably goes for Bajau in a little bit. You know, it was good for him to get a goal again from open play um, in the league. He's He's been struggling a wee bit, Bajau, and I think it's probably fair to say, and again has been attracting some criticism. Some of it, you know, is is, is well-founded because he's not been performing, I think, to the level that we'd expect. Um, but I thought, again, he actually had quite a good game yesterday as well. I thought his energy and willingness to get in the ball and drive it come on, it helped us. And you saw it, his desire to get in for the, for the first goal is... It's brilliant. So again, hopefully that'll help get him kind of kickstarted and, and get going properly. Yeah, I can I can definitely see where people are coming from. And although it's not the player's fault, you know, if it's true that whoever it was, three, four hundred thousand euros, I mean, that is a chunk of money mm-hmm. for Aberdeen. So whether he likes it or not, he will carry a greater expectation than other players. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. So Good to see him getting the score sheet. You're right, his desire is brilliant because he could easily have just been just not bursting a gut because he's like, oh, the play's all ahead of me. Someone's going to probably finish it. What's the point of me getting there? But he's there to support. I thought he put in a decent shift 
all round. Um, this, I think you still need more from him, but I was happy enough with what we got on Saturday and I think he's still on the team on merit. Yeah, I think so. I think as well, guys like Bajerian, and I guess Miofsky to an extent as well, he, like, you're number nine. If you look at that Ross County game again, like we gave him no nothing to work with, you know, at County. So, I mean, what is the guy meant to do? Although, unless he starts dropping deeper and deeper and deeper to try and get involved in the game, which is what you don't want your number nine to be doing. Games like that, there's a tendency that, you know, if the game's not going the way of your team, that your number nine always looks a bit exposed yeah. or isn't doesn't look like he's kind of well, at it or whatever. And sometimes you just have to give credit to the opposition setting yeah. up to be stuffy and doing their job I mean if a team is well drilled and they show no appetite to do anything other than sit in and basically put up those banks of four it's kind of doesn't matter who you're playing against it's just tricky to deal with that uh, exactly and the same goes for Bajewin Bajewin's like a proper old school winger as far as I'm concerned or an old school kind of wide player number 10 whatever you want to call him whereby it's really hit or miss with them. They're they're on it and they're on it or if they're off it. Like there's not this kind of middle ground with these kind of players. There's never like a solid seven out of 10 every week. They're either like a 10 out of 10 or like a two and you're like, what the fuck are they doing here? So, you know, I think I think people need to just, and, and Bichel is still young. He's still a young player as well. He's still finding his way in the game. It's not like he's a, a vastly experienced, you know, 27, 28 year old just come in. He's, he's still finding his feet and I, I just think that that hopefully is a, a, a big game yesterday for Bichel as well just to get going. Marley Watkins, let's talk about Marley Watkins for a little bit because he came in from the cold, his first start of the season yesterday. And again, I actually thought Watkins did really well. And I think Goodwin might find it hard to drop Watkins next week. I think that's fair. I think when we when we got Watkins sort of back and signed him after his, what was his first spell was a loan spell, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, I don't really think he really delivered what he'd done. In I think we saw it spell. in flashes. In flashes, but not, not enough. No, no. But as previously, I'd quite liked him because there's something... I was going to say odd. He's not, he doesn't strike me as being particularly quick. He's not particularly physical in terms of his stature. I mean, he's reasonably tall, but he's not like a big unit or anything. But the amount of times he just, it doesn't glide past players, but he'll be up against a couple of players, you know, what's going to happen here? And he'll just come out with the ball. Yeah. Sort of close control and his vision is really, really good. So I, I like him. I like the idea of him being in the team. He's not really delivered a great deal this second spell round but Saturday was good and Saturday was back to sort of what it was like when he first arrived and you think yeah definitely having this guy in, in and around the team is a good thing so yeah I enjoyed watching him on Saturday and he's certainly given Goodwin something to think about seriously because he was he was he was good it's difficult to say well put in a performance like that and then end up on the bench I think the good thing with Watkins is I think he links midfield with attack well like I don't, I don't think he's an out and out attack and I don't think you can play him up as a you could maybe play him as a front too but I think he always plays better just slightly off our main striker and I think that will help Miofsky as well if there's somebody just playing in those pockets who can find a bit of space pulls defenders around a little bit can has an eye for a pass as well and can, you know, I can think, find him yeah. and that creating space because yeah well we've said time and time again if you're going with one it's certainly Aberdeen teams of recent years go with one and end up shelling it just about any defence in Scotland is going to deal with that you know quite easily but if you've got um, someone who's maybe dropping deep to link up um, to link up the player doing something a little bit different it makes defenders think well who's going to go or do we both drop deep in which case Watkins is running at you so it just gives people something to think about Uh, yeah so I enjoyed his performance on Saturday and 
based on that, if he's if he's playing next week, personally, I can't really have any gripes about that. I think it'll be hard for Goodwin to drop, and we'll come on to that in a minute. It'll probably be a, it'll be a choice between Watkins or Kennedy. I reckon that has to drop out of the team. Um, it's both difficult decisions, I suggest. It's a bit but, of a shame for either of them based on how Saturday went. Yeah, I would say so. I just can't see. I would Kennedy if he was going to play, he'd probably think he's off one of the flanks, and I can't see him dropping Hayes or Bajowin. So, yeah, that's probably fair. I unless he tries to who shoehorn Bajowin into this kind of number ten role, I could see him try to go with Watkins again. To be honest, but we'll, we'll come on to that in the Dundee preview later on. Um, someone who I really want to talk about. Um, and I'm going to crack open a beer for this one because I think that the Aberdeen recruitment team deserve a lot of credit for this one. Ilba Ramadani, um, yesterday, I thought was just, personally speaking, I thought it was one of the finest central midfield performances I've seen from an Aberdeen player in many a season. But in one of those like very understated and nothing overly flashy about it type performance, but just controlled, disciplined, just did everything right. I don't think he missed a tackle. I don't think he missed a, misplaced a pass all game. For me, I said it when I did the um, BBC Scotland kind of podcast preview at the start of the season. I thought Elba Ramadani might be our standout star acquisition of the season. I'm going to stick to it right now. I thought he was superb yesterday. Yeah, he's. I like him. I mean, he puts in a great shift, which obviously is like your minimum start point for anyone who gets to wear that that jersey. Anyone listening to this would say, well, obviously I'd be doing the same. But I like the way he's. He's sort of solid and robust, but not daft. Like he's not solid and robust in the way that some people think you have to be, which is just flying into tackles and challenges. Yeah. He's not. He's not daft. He's quite well timed, or he knows when to just almost like just get back and mark up some space, and that gives the attacker something to think about. Are they going to take him on? In which case, he's got reasonable pace and he's quite strong when he needs to be. Or are they just going to pass the ball in field, for example? In which case, he's kind of done his job by heading off the attack. And the amount of times you just think oh, we're a bit exposed there all right there he is just popped down filled in mopped up back in the midfield right great job done I think he'll I think you're right because he does a lot of because he's not sort of blood and thunder and yeah. flying into people picking up cards you don't necessarily notice what he's doing so I can see a lot of people because you could almost be oh I didn't really realize he was he was on because he just kind of does it but really enjoying watching him definitely been a good acquisition we feel like we've been crying out for someone who's pretty solid in the midfield but but more importantly he's mobile and he can play a little bit as well as you know, yeah, he, he just sort of puts in a shift can break up an attack and then you're you think oh god he's got a five-yard pass he's going to lose it if he gets the ball and he gets time in the ball he's absolutely comfortable with it yeah the thing for me i like about ramadani is that he's um tactically very very aware of what his role in the team is and what he's meant to do and he kind of sticks to that no matter what and i really really like that about him because it's very easy sometimes in a game to get caught up in it and start kind of charging around all over the pitch or kind of losing where you're meant to be on the park but he always seems to be, a, a, be available for a pass for somebody he's always there helping them out from that perspective he's always giving people options he's got a great engine on him um there's a move in the second half where he he makes a, a good uh, bit of play running with the ball through the centre of the field. He offloads it to, I think it's Coulson. The ball then gets kind of swung in and it pops out to the edge of the box. And he's made up like a good 15 or 20 yards since he's popped the pass off. Yeah. And it's him that's on the edge of the box receiving the ball. And his shot takes a deflection, goes out for a corner. I think actually it might be where the, where the actually Stewart's goal from. comes from, yeah. I think. Um, 
kind of covering, you know, I know it's cliche, but covering like almost every blade of grass in the park, not very flashy. It's the classic seven or eight out of 10 performance every week. And you can kind of even see it. I'm going to lead on to kind of next point, just about our overall play um, yesterday. And this was the thing I think that I'm most impressed about, about our performance yesterday was our overall play. We're playing this, let's call it a very fluid formation. I think it's probably the best way to, to describe it. Um, there was like a real structure to what we were doing at the same time as having a lot of like fluidity to us and you look at the average position map of of, uh, of our game yesterday and you can clearly see you've got obviously Stuart and McCrory playing as your two central uh, defenders but look at Ramadani's position just dead centre between the two of them on the halfway line you know exactly where you want them to be in a game like that yesterday they've got Coulson and Richardson pushing on and the thing for me I really like about this from yesterday is there's five players pretty much in a line all with a lot of attacking threat in the sense of Kennedy, Hayes, Miofsky, Bajewin and Watkins. Like, that's going to cause a lot of teams a lot of problems if you can kind of play with that level of attacking intent most weeks. Definitely. Uh, I mean, you look at them and they're interchangeable. I yeah. mean, Miofsky's going to be that number nine, so he's pretty much going to be in the centre, if you like. But Hayes and Kennedy, if they're both playing, can swap the wings. Bajewin can probably swap up. You know, it's not like it's just a sort of... Yeah, you've got five creative players, but they're all going to be yeah. in and around a rigid position, so you can kind of deal with them. It doesn't really work that way. They're they're quick, they're clever, but also it doesn't. I don't feel like it exposes us too much because they're all willing runners. And I mean, Hayes seems to have found yeah. his base. Bajowin's no slouch. Kennedy's not exactly slow either. So not only have you got guys that are going to put in a shift, they're quick enough to get back, and then you've got Ramadani sort of sitting there. So in some cases, he doesn't have to be diving in and being stupid. He needs to hold someone up because he knows he's going to have support coming back into the midfield to help him out. So there's a long way to go, but there's a lot to like about that. And I feel like we carry a lot more of a threat. Oh, absolutely. And we certainly did last season. I appreciate, you know, Ross County is a good example of maybe, well, I guess not everyone's going to be able to just basically defend for 90 minutes. And you're not going to win every game anyway, I suppose. But yesterday was a good example of we just looked, we just looked pretty. Well, I was going to say reasonably solid. The goal we conceded was a bit daft. Maybe yeah. touch on that later. But in general, we controlled that game quite well. I felt, and it was enjoyable, which is really quite important as well for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I I just really like the way that we're set up there. I just think that. You've got a good solid base in Stuart McCrory with where their positions are. Ram Danny sitting where he is, you know, but they also Coulson and Richardson have got a lot of pace about them as well. So whilst they're on, you know, try to play on the front foot, if a team does turn over possession on us, that can very quickly become a, a five before you know it. And then you've probably got, like you say, kind of Kennedy and someone else dropping back in as well quite quickly. So I think that's, a, a, for me, we're going to talk about Dungeon United later on in the preview a team who are really lacking balance at the moment in the way they're setting up and the way they're playing. I compare that to that in particular, that particular average position map from yesterday. And I just think that that looks really good. And in fairness to Goodwin, I think there's been a lot of people questioning his ability to, you know, change things up and be reactive and from a tactical perspective and like flexibility and all that kind of stuff. They've, I thought yesterday, we, I thought our formation, I thought the way we initially set up was a bit odd. And I still think it is odd in the sense of it's not conventional. But it looked to me that everybody knew what they were meant to be doing in that team so you know fair play and fair fucks to the good the manager of the coaching team and the players because they've clearly worked on that over the last well two weeks um 
since our last game. Obviously, some of the players were wearing international duty, but they've clearly worked on it hard and it showed. Yeah, that's a fair point. It doesn't really matter if you and I turn up and think, oh, this looks a bit daft. The guys in the pitch know what they're doing. They obviously didn't think it looked daft because they, you know, they, there was no, you know, any time Kelly did get a chance, it's just, you know, they're always going to create a chance, but there wasn't any sort of shouting at each other, pointing fingers around, that's your guy or that's my guy. Everyone, you're right, everyone did know what they were they were supposed to be doing. So he's obviously had this in mind or it's a sign that you've just got some decent sort of players with that sort of football yeah. mind, if you like, that can understand and adapt to different situations and or tactics that are requested of them. So yeah, all, all in all, there's a lot to like from Saturday. It was really pretty encouraging, to be honest. I mean, winning's always nice, but if you can do it with a little bit of style, well, that's even better. Exactly. We have to talk about the goal we conceded, don't we? Um, it's it's the only blot on the copybook from, from yesterday. Yes. It's, a, it's a bad... It's not bad a good look. look. It's pretty silly, to be perfectly honest. It's really quite frustrating. Especially when... I mean, Taylor's, Taylor's quite a big guy. Ignoring his sort of scoring form this season, it's always going to be a bit of a threat. I wasn't quite sure if... I think it was Mojovsky he was yeah, with. It was Mojovsky, yeah just didn't really cover himself in glory. And I know people might say he's not a defender, but... I, I must, I'm not sure why Mayovsky was marking him, to be honest. Well, I was kind of wondering that as well. I mean, okay, Mayovsky's probably sort of similar height, but, you know, Taylor's got... Um, Taylor's more imposing than Mayovsky. So if it came to a, sort of a straight fight or a, or a, you know, sort of um, the physical side, Taylor's going to win that. I don't know how he ended up there, but... I still don't think he did a particularly good job. No, I don't think he did. I'm surprised it wasn't McCrory who was matching up to Taylor because McCrory's probably the only player in our team, I reckon, who's probably physically of the same yeah, stature. I, I don't even think... It's not like the corner happened really quickly and we weren't no, set. set. No, no, we, we, were, we were set. It's just a bad goal. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened in terms of why personnel were with the Kelly players. But, yeah, it's not a... It's not a good look. And I mean, the game could have gone differently. You know, you're 2 you're two nil up at that point. So, yeah. all right, fine. It's annoying to get back to 2-1. But like you said, you get the goal at halftime and that kind of changes it. That won't always be the case. No. So we really need to stop giving gifts. I think it's going to be hard for us to stop doing it though this season because Goodwin made that, he, he mentioned it in his post-match uh, press conference about the fact that we're not the biggest team, you know, in the league this season. And he's right. I mean... Anthony Stewart, we spoke about it when Anthony Stewart signed. He's not a big guy for a, for a centre half. He's five, he's about five eleven or something. So he's not, you know, in in the Scottish top flight, he's not a typically built centre half. Normally, have got a bit more physicality about them. Um, Liam Scales is a wee bit taller, but he's not the biggest of loons. I think he reads the game well, but he's not he's not a big lad. And outside of McCrory, we don't have you know, very many big players in the team. So I do wonder if this is going to be a, a kind of repeating issue this season where we do play teams who have a little bit more physicality about them. And we're going to have to somehow try and figure out a way to deal with it because our record from set pieces this season is poor and that's being very polite about it. Yeah. And I don't think, well, certainly you and I never thought we would be talking about being pretty weak at set pieces and or defending under a Goodwin team, did we? Uh, no. No, not at all. I haven't said that the, the flip side to that criticism is we've been more exciting at times oh, yeah. than I ever thought we would be, so I can't have my cake and eat it. It's not. It's been better probably from a footballing point of view than I imagined it might have been under Goodwin, so I probably can't be too critical, but 
yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I'm not going to mind shipping a header every week if we win by four or five every week. You know, like, I'm not going to be bothered by it. But it is yeah. a, it's a slightly worrying trend because you know in this league, teams are going to focus on you on set pieces. Well, yeah, and so they should. If we were, I don't know, if we had a team of giants, I'd be saying almost like just play for set pieces. Yeah. Load the box, shell it in, because it's, you know, it's going to work enough over the course of a season that it's a worthwhile tactic. So definitely something to be wary of. And I don't even know if you just need to have a think about, not obviously you need to be careful if you're impeding someone in the box, but just almost having a couple of smaller guys around him to try and just block block the run or whatever it is. I don't know how you do it. Sometimes you've got to be a little bit smart around how you you do these bits and pieces, but something has to be looked at, I think, because if we're going to be giving away cheap goals on a regular basis, feels that will come back and bite us. I guess as well, it's a setup thing because we didn't have anyone at the posts at the goals. If, if there's someone on the far post, they clear that. Yeah, um, that's a good point. You know, So um, is that what you do instead? You kind of you accept the fact that there's a chance. You accept the fact that on the percentages, you're probably going to lose headers in the box. So... Does that mean you have to think about at least one man on the post? It's part, I mean, that's not about I me. Mean, you saw like it worked in our favour against you know Scotland against Ukraine. Yeah. So I had two goals for Dykes because they didn't have anyone on the post. You think after the first one where he's beating them all ends up in the air, like maybe we're not going to get the better of him. Put someone on the post. So yeah, I suppose. Well, you know, Steve that's May a fair does it. Point. Tanner Dice yesterday scores at one end and he clears him off the line from a corner kick not long afterwards. You know, so there's a bit to be said for that. Um. Anyway, let, let's let's go back to some more positive stuff. Johnny Hayes rolling back the years again. Uh, another unbelievable performance from Hayes yesterday. Yeah, I thought he was great having had serious reservations as to whether he was past it or not last season. Don't know what it is, but yeah, just um, yeah, it's pretty much just winding back the clock, isn't it? So yeah, really classic Johnny Hayes, just up and down the line, putting in a shift taking players on. I just love watching Taking him. players out. I kind of yes. two-footed <laughs> tackle around the waist and he never even got booked for it. I know. Brilliant. It was incredible scenes. I love, um, like even Kennedy sometimes can be a little bit, he's maybe not as direct, but you've got guys in that team that will just drive the ball. And actually sometimes that helps, you know, if we're a yeah. bit under the cosh, we were chatting about sort of the creative players. There's some ball carriers yeah. in that team, like, you know, Different styles like Watkins doesn't seem to be particularly quick, but more often than not can get you up the pitch. Whereas you've got Hayes or just push the ball past and go for it. Or you've got uh, even like um, Richardson, Coulson um, as well. So you've got quite a lot of players in that team that are pretty rapid. Someone I wasn't good, I didn't really have down to talk about, but let's talk about him really quickly because you just mentioned him. Jaden Richardson, uh, he's coming for a lot of... Um... I'm not going to say stick, but I think there's a lot of people who like the jury's well out on Richardson, whether he's, you know, good enough to play um, at right back for Aberdeen. I thought he did well yesterday. He didn't have a lot to do. And there was one slack pass, I think, in the middle of the first half where it, it was his pass that set up Polworth, yeah. Um, but apart from that, I thought he had a decent game yesterday. And I just wonder if he's just starting to bed himself in and kind of get used to it and, and all that kind of good stuff. He's still a young lad as well. They needs to, you know, people need to remember that. I know he's still a young guy but I mean that is his position mm -hmm. so always being surprised that someone's overlapping or running past you I'm not really sure that should be the big surprise that it always appears to be to him 
I can see why people are being frustrated because I like I, I like him going forward. He's he's quick and he puts in a shift, but there've been quite a few games where it's pretty obvious that the opposition have done their homework yeah. and decided that's the, the side you're going to attack down. Now, obviously, that does mean he should have cover as well because if you're basically just saying attack that one guy and no one protects him, then he's obviously going to look a bit silly. Uh, you're right, he probably wasn't really tested a great deal by Kelly. Um, I'm, I'm still not totally I'm still convinced, not convinced, but I thought he... But I thought he didn't do anything better. wrong on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, he got away with one with a slack pass, didn't come yeah. to anything. But overall... He was he was fine, and I suppose sometimes you just need a few games where you get through it. You're fine. That builds up the confidence, so maybe the next time he is tested, he's sort of uh, better equipped to deal with it, if you like, because he's he's in good form. So, yeah, I think there's still work to be done there. I can see why people would be frustrated, but I'm not really sure he did much wrong oh, on Saturday. Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a better performance. So hopefully, more of that's coming. Yeah, but uh, let's just. For the last part of uh, talking about the game on Saturday, let's flip over to the left-back side because we have to talk about Hayden Coulson, I think. Um, excellent performance once again from Coulson yesterday. And um, we said it before, I think of all the signings we made in the summer, Coulson's probably the one that I think that most people went, uh, about because it was that. It felt a bit more like the kind of classic Aberdeen signing of signing a guy on loan from an English Championship or League One team who appears to be very injury prone and hasn't played a lot of football recently and it, uh, you know it's just one of those hmm, I'm not too sure about this one but it's fair to say he's come in and he's done a fantastic job so far and I think he was for me I, I personally thought Ilba Ramadani was man of the match on, on Saturday but Coulson was a very close second he, I thought he was he thought he was excellent yeah I think that's fair enough when he signed I actually don't remember him first time round I think he had a pretty underwhelming loan spell with St Mirren a few seasons back. So it was the first thing a couple of guys were saying, like, oh, this boy's mints. And then even, I can't remember the guy's name you spoke to. Oh, from, from the Middle butter Spurs. breakdown. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were a bit like, I don't I don't get it. I don't really know what he's about and I don't know why you, you want him. So he probably was the only one that didn't really come in with any sort of fanfare and or excitement. And he did feel like that late McInnes just get some bodies in type signing. But, I really enjoyed him on Saturday. I thought he was he was good from sort of the defensive job. He was really quick. He's actually really he's better with the ball at his feet than I thought he might have been. He's a better player. And we'll just go back to that run for uh, for the third goal. I mean not only the, the sort of the pace, but just looking at the two defenders, seeing there's the space to run into, just you know, just be direct because they can't you know, they can't touch you once you're in the box. You could see it once he went past Taylor the first time. He was like, suddenly, like, I can't touch him. Yeah. And it gets fortunate because the keeper, I don't know what the fuck the goalkeeper's trying to do, but he makes an arse of it. I mean, he makes an arse of it because Coulson's there and he's forced all panicking. Yeah, 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 it's forced issue. And in fairness to Coulson, has the composure to kind of just look up, squares it into Miofsky. Um, What I like about Coulson, so I thought you say, like, he's defensively, I think he's pretty decent. Um, Again, that was the thing, I think, when we spoke to, I think it was Johnny from the Borough Breakdown, the kind of feedback generally was good going forward, not entirely sure about him at the back. That against Hibs the other week, I thought he kept Martin Boyle pretty quiet for the the, the 55 minutes Coulson was on the pitch for. Jones tried to run him a couple of times on early doors on Saturday and he stopped him both times. Like I think as a defender, I think he's actually got something about him as well. Um, it's that daft thing now. Suddenly you're like, 
you know, when we signed him in 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 August, it's like, ah, oh, this guy, like, he'll be hoping to get a contract here next season. He's out of contract at Middlesbrough at the end of this season. Like, he's probably thinking this is last chance saloon. I need to get a contract. Hopefully, I'll do well and get a contract happening. Now we're at the point where we're almost panicking if he continues this form that we won't be able to keep him. Like, I, I don't think he'll go back to Middlesbrough in January, but there'll be other teams probably sniffing about who could sign him on a pre-contract as well. And I'd like to think, I'd like to hope we're already starting to talk to him about maybe try to get something done in January because I think if we could get him signed up even on a couple of year deal, I think we'd be doing all right for ourselves. So far, I've seen enough that I like. So I could definitely, I could definitely get on board with that if there was an announcement, you know, in the coming weeks, months, whatever, that we've that we've signed him up. I mean, you never, I suppose you don't know what his agent's saying to him or whether he's happy in Aberdeen, et cetera, et cetera. But even if it's a couple, I think we were chatting like a couple of years, gives him a bit of security, gives us a bit of security because you know you've got him for like a season. And then you just say like, you know, they've got a low release clause or we won't be dicks about it if you want to go back down south or someone comes in. But it's just like a bit of protection for everyone. And if you're going to get a player like that, again, it's probably going to cost you a couple of quid. Yeah. So you've kind of got one. Why would you not be trying to maybe see if there's any appetite to make that a little bit more permanent? Um, yeah, I, I've I enjoyed him on Saturday. It was a good, a really good performance. And again, it's just in those sort of positions. If we're going to be a bit more adventurous and pushing on, and you want these guys to get up and support, you need the pace yeah. for them to get back. And and he's got that. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh no, uh, a good afternoon's work for for the Dons on Saturday. Graham, you're you're top Don. Well, I think I mentioned him plenty of times, so I'm going to go for Colson. I enjoyed I enjoyed watching him defend, and I just really liked what he did going forward. Lovely stuff. And listen, Graham, you're the man of the people once again. Every man, Graham Steele, completely in agreement with the ABZ Football Podcast Solar System because Colson topped out the poll. Winning 64.1% of the votes, 401 votes cast. He beats out Ross McCrory, Johnny Hayes, and my choice, Elber Ramadani for top Don. Onwards to next week at Tanadice. But first, in other news from Pataudry and Cormac Park this week. Now, the biggest news this week uh, came on Tuesday with the confirmation of the latest inductee to the 2022 AFC Hall of Fame in the shape of Frank McDougall, who's going to be inducted alongside Duncan Shearer. Doogie Bell, Russell Anderson, and Davy Robb. I tell you what, what a front line you could build with Shearer McDougall and Davy Robb with Doogie Bell just operating in behind unbelievable stuff. Now, McDougall, of course, signed for the Dons in 1984 for 100 grand from St. Mirren to, to replace uh, Mark McGee, who we spoke about at the top of the show, who had departed for Hamburg. McDougall going on to score 44 goals and just 69 appearances for the Dons, picking up a league winner's medal in his first season before completing the domestic set. The following season, before having to retire from the game at the age of just 29 during the 1986-87 season. Now, this induction this week is particularly prescient as uh, Frank revealed earlier in the week that he's just been diagnosed with lung cancer. So, obviously, our best wishes um, on the episode Football Podcast go out to Frank, his family at this time. And we're looking forward to bringing you an extended chat interview with Frank uh, in late October, early November, as we run up to the Hall of Fame dinner itself. But other than that, a relatively quiet week from the Dons. Um, no mad statements this week, which was always, always a positive. So, Have you checked your Twitter? 
Not yet. Should I check it quickly? Now is about the time. Yeah, let's have a look. Let's see. It's probably just Hibs fans. Uh, again, to anyone that listens, if and even if you happen to be his <laughs> fan listening to this, if you're arguing with someone, it's Gary. Or Gav. It, it might be Gav. Um, no. I've just had a lot of fun today just winding up Hibs fans. It's been amazing. It's been like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, yeah, no, nothing. All good, all good, all good. Right, let's move on then, shall we? On to low much. Kieran Nguyenia, another 90 minutes pass with no minutes for Kieran Nguyenia at Wraith Rovers. Uh, he was on the bench for the entirety of their 1-0 defeat to Queen's Park in the Championship. So I'd expect um, we might look at doing something about that deal in January unless he starts getting some minutes with the Kirkcaldy outfit. I would imagine so. It's going to be difficult for him to be your breakout star it's going to be sat on the bench or not even getting on the bench. So it's going to be a hell of a second half of the season for Kieran and Gwenya. Although, jokes aside, I'm a little bit, I'm obviously disappointed we've loaned someone out and he's not getting games. A little bit surprised because was he at Kelty as well? He was at Kelty, with yeah. Connor Barron. So yeah. he'd be getting game time. I know it's not the same level, but he'd been getting game time and by all accounts had been performing reasonably well. So I'm a little bit, I'm not necessarily surprised that we loaned him. I'm a little bit surprised that nothing's really happened for him yet. So that is a bit disappointing. And I'd I'd be surprised if he don't do something in January, like you, like you say, rather than have him sort of waste a year of his career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mason Hancock, another 90 minutes under his belt, uh, as our both were beaten 2-0 by Cove at the Balmoral. Uh, Evan Tyler, an unused sub for Cove in that one. Uh, Tom Ritchie at Peterhead, he got the full 90 minutes. Um as Peterhead fought back from 2-0 down to grab a Desmond East End Park in League One. Uh, Peterhead with two goals in the last six minutes there to pull that one back. Uh, Kevin Hanratty, uh, a new sub as well for four for as they drew 0-0 with Dumbarton in League Two. And Dean Campbell, not in the squad, as big bad bung-giving Steve Evans found another stash of burn envelopes this week as his Stevenage side scored another late winner to see off Crawley Town in League Two. Stevenage staying at third in the table. Honestly, I swear to God, the amount of goals Stevenage have scored in the last five minutes or injury time this season to win games is frankly astonishing and probably deserves a formal FA investigation. I'm just saying. Any reason given for Campbell not being in the squad? No idea. He played last Must be one week. of the first ones he's maybe missed out on because he's generally come on, hasn't he? Uh, he started in most games. He started last week, I think, and came off. Okay. So I don't know if he came off with an injury. Um, no idea. I would need to look into more detail about Stevenage other than just slagging off Steve Evans, to be honest. Um, oh, I certainly wouldn't ask you to do that. Why would we do that? I mean, do you think say Peds? I think that's what it is. Not I Peds. Peds. <laughs> oh, it might be Peds. It's Steve Evans. He's, he's a big lad. Um, <laughs> you know, performance enhancing something or others. Or just the burn envelopes, would you reckon? I honestly don't care at this point. I want to just incriminate you, Graham, in something, and it's not happening, is it? You're not biting. No. Unlike Steve Evans on a steak. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the young team. Uh, back in Cass under 18 action on Friday at Gussie Park. What a terrible name. In Dundee, as they smashed United 7-3 in a game of two halves. United take the lead on 19 minutes through Heenan. After Liam Harvey had missed a couple of chances for the young Dons, the Dons still equalising a couple of minutes later. Alfie Babbage latching onto a through ball, finishing well past Balfour in the Arabs net. United retook the lead on the half hour mark. Keenan picking up a rebound after a save from all UME. And that's how the teams went in the break. 2 1 to United. After the break, the Dons making a fast start. Harvey playing in Marshall. He scored at the second attempt to level things up before United again 
retook the lead. McLeod put through on goal and he finished well into the bottom corner of the net. Uh, that's 3-2 if you're keeping score. Then though, the Dons got a grip of the game. Babbage with his second and Aberdeen's equaliser on 66 minutes, 3-3. Emsley putting the Dons a goal up on 68 minutes before Babbage grabbed his second hat-trick in two games on 71 minutes. Emsley scored his second of the game on 80 minutes before Blair McKenzie nodded home a Dylan Lobbin header to make it United 3, Aberdeen 7. Fair fucks to Barry Robson and the young team once again. Great result. The United would appear to be murdered across the age groups. <laughs> Certainly shipping goals across the age groups of nothing else. Uh, Gussie Park. Yeah. Your man Babbage is having a reasonable season. He's doing all right, is he? He looks doing not bad. Doing not bad. Let's see how he does. Let's see if we make a breakthrough at the top team this season. What do you reckon? That seems a little bit too much, but... If he continues in this goal-scoring run, though, I mean, like, it's hard not to put him in the even in the squad at some point, you know? Well, I can see him getting a token seat in the bench, maybe. I mean, Dylan Lobbin, also on the bench uh, yeah. on Saturday. Um, speaking of which, it's the first time I've actually been probably up close, I was going to say up close and personal, I wasn't that personal, with Jack Milne. He's a fucking big loon, isn't he? Yes, he's uh miracle growing his breakfast, <laughs> I think, back in the day. Standing in a tomato plant or whatever he used to be. <laughs> he's like, certainly got, uh, obviously... I'm sure he'll bulk out a little bit as he as he grows, but from the sort of the height point of view, he's certainly got all the makings of a central defender. I can see why we've decided set our defences where you're going, son. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's certainly got yeah, he's certainly got the attributes just from the sort of a first glance. Speaking about Jack Miller, actually, like we've kind of I'm 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 going back to Saturday really Should we maybe have thought about taking him on a bit earlier than we did? Just a man, Mark Ash Taylor. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, you know, it was a 4 1 up. We were, we're cruising. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. We were, we were, yeah, we were absolutely comfortable. I feel like I would imagine it's much easier as a young player to come on in a game where the team's playing well and they're confident. And it's almost like it takes a bit of the weight off the shoulders that, you know, if you make a mistake, the game's not sort of finely poised. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that would have been a good idea. And obviously more minutes, more experience is good for him. So that's probably a fair point, actually, because there's not, I don't think there'll be that many opportunities where you're that comfortable in a game to come on and it kind of almost doesn't matter how good your performance is because you're so far ahead. Absolutely. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, on to the women's team. Uh, after last week's home defeat to Celtic, the Quines were in SWPL League Cup action away at Glasgow City on Sunday afternoon. One change to the starting lineup for Gavin Beath and Emma Hunter. Francesca Ogilvie replaced by Hannah Stewart with Nadine Hansen in the squad for the first time since joining the club last month. Uh, a pretty fraught start to the game uh, by both sides. Chances few and far between. Lauren Davidson going closest for the home side with an effort which ended up in the side netting. The Dons nearly getting an opener when Bailey Hutchison intercepted a ball in the middle of the park and after spotting Lee Gibson off her line, Hutchison's effort was well stopped eventually by the Scotland International. Now, Glasgow City did make the breakthrough in 30 minutes. Davidson's cross met by Chinchilla at the back post and she bundled home the opener and that's how it stayed until half-time. Great names. Great I was just going to say it's an outrageous name. Top, <laughs> top name. Um... <laughs> More of that, please. The Dons with a double switch at the break. Ogilvy and Maya Christie coming on for Bailey Collins and Hannah Stewart. But it was the hosts who began to turn the screw. Meech having to save from Davidson before the goalkeeper then brought down Chinchilla. 
in the box and Davidson stepped up to fire home the spot kick. Nadine Hansen coming off the bench for her Aberdeen debut, replacing Chloe Govan on 17 minutes. But things went from bad to worse for the visitors, wheeling with a fine strike into the top corner, making it three on 73 minutes before Davidson grabbed her second of the game, latching on to a fine stop by Meech from Chinchilla, which rebounded off the bar before Moore then got on to the end of a lauder free kick to make it five for the home side as they sealed their place in the next round. Next up for the Quines, it's a trip to Hearts a week on Sunday in SWPL. One duty and uh, Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath will be desperate to try and get some sort of result in that one because so far, no wins for the women's team this season. Uh, not a great start, it's fair to say. No, that's, yeah, it's been pretty, well, disappointing. And I was a little bit surprised, actually, given that they'd, you know, they'd finished last season reasonably well in terms of their the league position. So yeah, I think it's crossed it's just maybe taking a wee while to to get going and then they can pick up a result and maybe that'll lead to another another few results. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. The only way is up, I think it's fair to say. That's a that's a hit. That's a blast in the past. It's a belter is what it is. I'm not even at Jeff's music corner yet. Let's move on. And now before we get onto the night preview, will we do Jeff's music corner again? Yes, let's go for it. Let's make this the standout feature of the show. People fucking love this. People are always going on about Jeff's Music Corner. So this week, I've, I even went and did research on this because I <laughs> don't know why. Um, Jeff loves Baby Birds, You're Gorgeous, doesn't he? He fucking loves that song. You know? was, uh, was that his first hit on the jukebox when we were in Dingwall? Uh, it was. Well, I think we were in Inverness, we were in Inverness at, at the time, yes. technically. Yes, it was. It was. Yes. Um, so a song that was on the same installment of Now That's Why I Call Music that Your Gorgeous was on, um, which I think was now, that's what I call music, 35, I think. There we go. Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Remember that one? I certainly do. Do you reckon that one's in Jeff's sweet spot? Because they kind of tick the baby bird box as being one-hit wonders. Yeah, yeah, no, I can yeah. see where you're going with that, yeah. Yeah. Why was that song so big? Was it in a film? Or is it just because it references Audrey Hepburn films? I don't know. Or yeah, was it in Friends I... or something? I honestly don't know, but like it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Absolutely. But I everywhere. don't know why it was. Why it was big. Yeah. No, that's why a good don't. point, actually. I don't know why it was, but everyone knows it. And if they everyone don't, knows if it. If they say they don't, they're lying. Yeah, exactly. Banger. Um, interesting tidbit. Uh, the, you'll enjoy this one, Graham. You know, right? The drummer from Deep Blue Something is a guy called John Kirtland, set up his own independent record label. Now, for a while, he owned the rights to uh, Bush. You know, okay. with Gavin Rossdale. And yeah. uh, he owned No Doubt's back catalogue for a while as well. Um, so it's obviously loaded then. Well, he was. And then he sold the Bush rights to like some private equity firm and Bush, which is kind of funny. Um, so he fucking made a fortune of that, I imagine. But guess who else is on his label? Well, I know because I'm reading what you've written. Well, you've written, yeah, I know. But yeah, here we go. The that is absolutely, yeah, that's quite. The Polyphonic Spree. Left man. field, isn't it? If you had to put two bands together, right? I would um, never have come up with that combo. Deep Blue Something and the Polyphonic Spree, there's a gen, there's a genuine lineal relationship between those two bands. Yeah, which I think I could have been at this all night if you said, here's where you're starting, <laughs> where you're going to end up. I would never have got there. Fucking unbelievable stuff. The Polyphonic Spree, what a band. I genuinely thought at one point when they first broke out the scene, I, I kind of genuinely thought I might quite like to just like run away and join them. Did we tour. see them tea in the park? We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them. At, I I also saw them like I don't know if it was later that year, but I think it might have been the second. I saw them at the 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 Barras, 
like they basically couldn't like the stage almost wasn't big enough for them all to be on <laughs> how would that work fucking unbelievable what a band man honestly i think they're still on the go as well brilliant stuff there we go deep blue something and the polyphonic spray who'd have thunk it anyway shall we move on it might be time to move on we'll we move on because it's, it's nice because usually it's gavin and i that do the tangent shit so it's nice that you're it's nice to do tangents with other people it's yeah. almost like i'm the problem I couldn't possibly comment on that. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, if you like Jeff's Music Corner, hit us up with what song you'd like to see us talk about next week, and we'll get Jeff's view on it before we come on. I think that's <laughs> what we'll try and do. Um, just don't ask him for his opinion about Kel Roos. No, not unless you... Like, that won't be a condensed section. ...want to get home any time that, uh, yeah, that evening. That will, uh, that will go on. What do you think Jeff was thinking when he, like... Ali done the ball yesterday. I bet Jeff was having was going fucking apoplectic about that. In Jeff's defence, uh, it wasn't so great. Was everyone else in the stadium, you know, just like, <laughs> yeah, anyway. I don't recall. Well, I had to mind what I said because we had your little boy and uh, some other little kids around, so I had to mind my p's and my q's. But that really hears enough effing and Jeff and at home at the best of times. So. <laughs> uh, so he gets for Dunkin' Chips and orange juice. Still a little weird though. Um, <laughs> Let's move on, I think. There we go. So, Saturday sees us travel to Tanadice for the first time since a pretty spicy encounter between the sides last season, which saw us lose 1-0 on the day, a late goal from Ian Harks taking the points. Highlight of that for me was the fact they played Real American um, after he scored, which was a nice touch. Um, big talking point that day, of course, was the sending off of Funzo King Ojo by it was Bobby Madden, wasn't it? England's Bobby Madden. Yeah, the clueless, baldy fuck who had the audacity to send off King Ojo for, well, for him being pushed by a United fan, which was yeah. an interesting take on things. Now, this yeah. game, of course, also famous, or infamous, I guess you might want to say, for seeing Jack Gurr have a rare okay day. Um, and there was a period in the second half, you might remember this, game that saw us have a back four of Ross McCrory at right back, Scott Brown and Dean Campbell at centre half and Johnny Hayes at left back. I believe the kids' parlance for that is scenes. Yeah, and we lost the game. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Not me. Not me. Yeah, Jack Gurr having, to be fair, a reasonable game. Matty Longstaff just being Matty Longstaff. Oh God, yeah, that was the Matty Long- Was that Matty Longstaff's last game travelling? I, think, I think so. See, his brother scored at the weekend. Did he? I saw Mike Longstaff get hooked after 60 minutes again as Cole Shaster got beat again. So League 2... Just not finding his line. Just two shit for Mike Longstaff, once again, as it is. Um, let's go back to United, though. United are in all sorts of bother at the moment. Um, Graham's got a massive grin on his face, as I said that. Yeah, bother's not the word I'd have used. <laughs> <laughs> okay. United in all sorts of shit at the moment, sitting bottom of the table. No wins from the opening eight games in the league. Just two points on the board, courtesy of draws. With Kamarnock on the opening day of the season and a nil-nil draw at Motherwell, a 2-1 defeat to St. Johnston last time, which incidentally was also their first goal at home this season so far. Now, the 9-0 thumping at home by Celtic, um, which obviously cost Jack Cross his job, is the headline result, but they also shipped four at Tynecastle, seven against the AZ Alkmaar in the Europa Conference League, which was kind of funny. Um, Liam Fox eventually being given the job on a permanent basis uh, last week, despite United having pretended that they undertook a lengthy recruitment process. Now, where have I heard that before? 
I'm, I'm scratching around and it just doesn't come to mind. Can't think. Can't... Certainly not from the club that's on the badge of my jersey tonight. I wonder if United have ever wheeled out their finance director to talk about transfer <laughs> fee for a player that mysteriously arrived in circumstances that no one quite understood and departed to a club that everyone imagined he might go to. Anyway. Watch this space. Uh, wider problems as well at United. Head boy Tony Ashgar admitting in the last couple of weeks their current wages to turnover is 133%, which is like it's ludicrously unsustainable for a SPFL premiership side. Like, this is the type of shit clubs were doing like 20 years ago. When it all yeah. went a bit mad. Um, yeah. 133%. He was convinced they would turn a profit next season, apparently. Which would be interesting to see how they do that in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I think he said that before they sacked Jack Ross as well. So there's the Jack Ross compensation money that needs to be wangled out of there somehow. So, uh, and I think it's purely coincidence, purely coincidence that Aberdeen have now got the shed and 4,000 tickets. <laughs> Yeah, or absolutely not. Just think about that, Aberdeen fans. When you're putting your hand in your pocket to go to Tannadice this weekend, you're funding Jack Ross's wardrobe. Anyway, um, United, they, they kind of invested quite heavily in the summer as well. Um, Stephen Fletcher came in on a free transfer. I imagine he isn't there on, you know, buttons. No, I imagine he'd be picking up... That hair transplant in top knot doesn't pay for itself. He won't obviously he's not getting anywhere what he would have got down down England, but I would assume that he's on pretty tidy money for Dundee United. I imagine so. Uh, they they signed Dylan Levitt permanently from United uh, from Manchester United. I presume you know they they paid a fee for that, and I presume Levitt's not come there on buttons either um, to make the move there. Even though he's a young kid, Glenn Middleton coming in from Sevco again, they paid a fee for him. I presume he's not on pennies either uh, and you factor in the extortionate wages that they're paying to Tony Watt who came in during the January window so there's a lot of money being spent at Dundee United it's fair to say and well it's like, it's like Stephen Fletcher for example well well, Tony Watt sorry has only scored two goals for United since joining in January the second of which came on Saturday against uh, St Johnson Stephen Fletcher's only got one goal in the league so far that was in the defeat at Tynecastle um, scoring goals a massive problem for United's only four goals in the league so far, which is the joint lowest with Kilmarnock and Ross County, which coincidentally are the bottom three teams in the league. 22 goals conceded for United um, in eight games so far. That's an average of 2.8 per game, which places them far and away bottom of the table for goals conceded this season. I mean, I know in that you need to factor the nine they shipped to Celtic. Um you know, you can kind of play with that how you want. If you if you strip that out, it's 13 conceded, which actually isn't overly bad. But yeah, let's keep it 22 in because it's funny as fuck. Um, out of the four goals they've scored, three of them have come from open play. They've got an open play expected goal so far this season of 3.92. So they're slightly underperforming in front of goal, but not massively, not really looking like they're creating a huge amount of chances. Averaging 3.8 shots per target per game with a shot conversion rate. Graham, you'll enjoy this. He's taken a massive swig of tenants. A short conversion rate of 3.5%. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I, I, I actually don't... I mean, these guys get paid cash money to play the game. Yes. And presumably they, they train. Yes. Like, I actually don't know... I don't understand how that's possible. I, I don't know. I mean, sc- scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in football, you know. But 
I, I shock conversion rate of three point five percent is. How did you describe it last week when we talked about Kamara? What was Kamara seeing? Like not point something percent. It was less than that. Yeah, it was less. I than didn't that. think I was going to see anything. Well, less the worst thing is three point five percent sees United ranked seventh in the table. Ouch. Um. I'm making fun of them. What's ours? Like 3.6 or something? Oh, let me look. I'll have a look at ours. I mean, like, our shot conversion rate on Saturday was 25%. With just, 16 shots, scored four. So that, yeah. that's a relatively... I suppose I'm expecting to see some sort of big number here. Not, yeah. not necessarily for Aberdeen, but in general. But I know I take your point that it is, the, it is difficult to score goals, but 3.5% just seems absolutely rank. What did you want to see? Our... our yeah. Shots just before I'm absolutely... I'm laying into them with 35 but <laughs> I don't actually know what ours is. Let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. Uh... Yeah, the goals thing. I'm a little surprised. Our shot conversion rate, right? Our shot conversion rate is twelve percent. Yeah. Okay. So that's significantly. We're the we're actually better. Too, amazingly actually we are the we're the second best team in the league at shot conversions. Um, twelve percent for us. Celtic are top twelve point six percent. It's not far behind, though, is it? Not far behind. Uh, we are. Uh, Sevco 9.5%, so quite a bit above. Um, so there we go. Yeah. Well, just on that, I'm a little Jim surprised. Jim Goodman's party dons are doing all right. Is yeah, it well, out? long may that continue. The goals thing, I am a little bit surprised. I, I, I personally don't really break Tony Watt, but he did reasonably well at Motherwell. So I kind of assumed when he went to Dundee United, he'd just basically continue that. And that was a reasonable return of goals he had and I thought Fletcher would be better than he has been to be honest although it might just sort of touch on the general poor state of affairs that is the Dundee United first team well here's the other one right so I mean like we're saying there they're averaging 3.8 shots per target per game conversion at 3.5% but these are all like the, the 3.8 shots per tar- on target per game these are like speculative efforts because they've only created in eight games this season They've only created one big chance in the league, which placed them bottom of the table on that metric. Now, big chance is defined as being where the st- statisticians would um, estimate that you've got a greater than 60% chance of scoring from it. That's also not a particularly encouraging metric. One, one of those this season. That is not great. Now, helpfully for Aberdeen, um, as set pieces have been, well, let's be frank, our, I was going to say our Achilles heel, but... We've been fucking shite at defending set pieces this season. United have got the worst expected goal ratio across the league from set pieces. Only 1.08 expected goals for the season from set pieces. They haven't scored any from set pieces so far this season. But I'm sure we'll give them a big old fucking helping hand with that on Saturday. Now, defensively, we touched on it earlier on, they are all over the fucking shop. 18 goals conceded from open play against an expected goals against of 13.74. So they're massively, massively underperforming. Underperforming on that metric. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. Sounds odd because it's a bigger number, but yeah, underperforming on that. Um, Defending set pieces, not much better. Uh, They've conceded four goals this season against a set piece expected goals against of 2.11. So conceding nearly double the amount of goals at set pieces than they're expected to. So this might be an area for us to exploit this weekend, especially since we got up and running with a goal from a set piece. And it's Kamarnik at the weekend, although disappointingly for us, Ash Taylor is not playing um, for, for United and just constantly checking the whereabouts of Derek McInnes. Yeah, let's see if we can <laughs> maximise their uh, 
inability to defend. Must be hard for Ash. It must be hard for Ash to concentrate on the game, mustn't it? This goes back to what was the rumor? I, I'm I'm going back into the annals of time here. Was it Stephen Craig? And, Stephen Craig and and No Wheeling. No oh, yeah. Stephen Craig, yeah, and No Wheeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they'll always be like, "Oh, look at Ash Taylor scanning the park," and it's like he's not scanning the park; he's just scanning to see where the boss is at. That's all he's doing. There's no way Mrs. <clears throat> Ash Taylor could be arsed driving up from Kilmarnock to Aberdeen. <laughs> you say that it's fucking miles away. As if, wait, hang on a second. As if Mrs. Ash Taylor is living in Kilmarnock. I assume they've embraced the local culture. I think it's probably fair to say that Mrs. Ash Taylor is probably as far away from. Ayrshire as she could possibly get. Maybe the Glasgow area. Who knows? Anyway, let's move on, shall we, from that one. Um, in, in terms of style of play as well, like it's really hard to gauge what United are kind of trying to do. Um, Liam Fox, and I, I can't keep saying Liam Fox about thinking about the Tory guy. They might be better with him. Oh, I was just thinking of, did Celtic not have a player, Liam Fox? Oh, they might have done. for somewhere in England. Yeah, was it Liam Fox? I know who you mean. A fullback. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't Liam, doesn't Not matter. Him. Um, Fox has kind of so far kind of played with a back three um, since coming in. We're going to touch on this later on with um, David um, when we talk to him about this. But I, I, when I look at the United squad from the outside, <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure United have the, the, the personnel to play with a three at the back. It gives me the, I think three at the back gives me the fear as an Aberdeen fan, just full stop. Like whenever I see any team playing it, I instantly get, break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. We've had so many bad experiences that yeah. even though it, obviously that can lend itself to options elsewhere in the pitch, that's why you would do it and plenty of teams can do it. It does work. I can't recall an instance where it's not just been a total cluster. So I tend to look at anyone playing through the back and I get the old... <laughs> the, the, classic, the classic Aberdonian sucking of air through teeth. Love it. Um, exactly. They kind of went with this like three-five-two system against St. Johnson at the weekend. They had Fletcher and Anaku starting up top. Watt scored after he came off the bench. So I'm, and again, we touched on this with David later on. I, I'd expect that they go with Watt and Fletcher up top against us on Saturday, but we'll see. They had a midfield three um, on Saturday against St. Johnson of, of Jamie McGrath. I hope he gets it fucking tight, by the way, from the away support, just because... Dylan Levitt and then Liam Harks, which I'm going to be honest, it doesn't really strike a lot of fear into me. No, I'd agree with that. Individually, this isn't so great because I've never really got the full Jamie McGrath hype, but he's not a bad player by any means. And Levitt was reasonable at points last season. Harks, like they're decent players, but if you're, if that is the wall between you and the Dundee United defence, I don't think you're going to be... There's not a lot of grit in there, is there? There's, there's not no. a lot of, you know... None of those boys are putting a two-footer in on you. Uh, well, no, I mean, uh, with the exception of, well, McGrath's never really, that's not his position. No. As a sort of midfield enforcer, neither is Levitt. Harks. Neither is Harks. He can be a little dirty at times, but I think that's a pretty soft centre to a team, and that's something that we should be looking to capitalise on. I'm thinking, I mean, Ramadan is pretty solid, but McCrory, Hopefully back in midfield, I'd expect him just to be steamrolling through that midfield. I'd like to think so. Um, and again, we talk about later with David. I mean, I think we saw, I think he was saying Ryan McGowan spent most of the game on Saturday just like fucking knocking set midfielders over like there were 10-pin bowling pins. So 
I'd like to imagine we can do the same on, on Saturday and just kind of run over the top of a team. Be good to see us do that for a change, wouldn't it? We, we don't often do that, but it'd be nice to watch it happen. It's much nicer when you're you're doing the running over the top of. Yeah, than being run over the top of. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Average possession um, this season, 48.2%. So they are getting on the ball. They're placed seventh on that um, in, in, in the league so far. Graham giving a, a wee nod of approval there for that. It's not too bad. But it's weird. They don't play with like... This is where I get to with this, by the way. This is where I keep on seeing parallels between Aberdeen last season and United this season so far. They don't play like an excessive number of passes per sequence per se at the moment. Like they average like 2.85, 2.85 passes per sequence which is kind of in line with what us and Hibs are doing we're 2.95 Hibs are 2.98 so United are kind of sitting fifth in the table on that metric but they're not really moving the ball very quickly either they're moving at around 1.57 meters per second which is below the median line for the league on this so and it's not like they're shelling the ball long either I've seen from what I've seen from United they do seem to be relying a little bit on hitting Fletcher long working off of layoffs or flick-ons but in a really weird way they seem to be kind of doing a lot of what we were doing last season they seem to be content to hold on to the ball they're trying to build attacks there's 52 sequences so far in the league that they've had 10 or more passes so they're third in the table on that metric they're only behind uh, Celtic and Sevco on that but out of those 52 sequences only nine of them have seen them finish with a shot on goal or even a touch in the opposition box. So that's a lot of passing the ball around with no end product. Now, where have you seen that before? Yeah, all too familiar. I feel like this show should come with a trigger warning at the start. I think it should. I'm reliving a lot of shite from last <laughs> season. Uh, and again, in terms of like zones of control, again, we'll tweet this graphic out um, when, we, when we put the show out. They seem again to be relatively happy to kind of give up territory. Um, again, the red areas are areas that um, opposition teams on average have more than 50% ball in a game. Blue zones are the ones that United control 50% or more of the game. And the grey zones are contested, so there's no clear winner on that one. So again, you can kind of see they're kind of happy to give up some territory when the opposition are in possession. Uh, they look to try and dominate a little bit down their right-hand flank, which is interesting. Um I wonder if they might try and switch that on Saturday because we have seen teams try to focus on Richardson as opposed to Coulson. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they try to do with that. And this kind of territory thing is borne out with their PPDA, Graham. PPDA is? Passes per defensive action. Gets it in one. I feel like I'm like the um, in Moneyball. See Moneyball? Just because I can remember the acronym, I don't, still don't really understand what it all means. You are the... But you are... Um, that makes you... What's the boy's name? What's the actor that plays that? Is it Josh Rogan? No, it's not Josh Rogan. What's the boy's name? Absolutely no idea. The Did boy. you say Moneyball? Moneyball. Glasses. Seth Rogan. That makes, you, that makes you... My Why could Seth I have been Brad Pitt? What? Because... Jonah Hill, you mean? Jonah Hill. Who's Seth Rogan? The guy with the curly hair. Is that not the same guy? Well, not according to the cover that I'm looking at on Wikipedia. Oh, Jonah, Jonah Hall then is then. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Fuck, doing well here. We're... Anyway. No, I'll be Brad Pitt. No, no, because, you... I, because I did the, and the click and the fingers to you, which makes you Jonah Hill to my Brad Pitt. So there we go. That's where I want to go with that one initially. Um, that was yeah, sorry. You need to tidy that up, Gavin. Yeah. No, I don't need to tidy that up, Gavin. Well, fine, we'll, we'll stick with that. Um, yeah, PPDA, passes per defensive action. So they're happy to sit off teams. Averaging 
15.7 passes per defensive action. So that's the amount of passes they're willing to give a team to execute before they engage on a pass, on a, ta- on a, on a press, on a tackle. So that place is uh, United bottom, rank rotten bottom of the table on that metric. They're also not looking to generate like high turnovers, which is defined as being when you win the ball back within 40 metres of the opposition goal. They've only done that 43 times this season so far. Um, not great. So for Aberdeen, for us, for the Dons, a real chance, you'd imagine, to try and build some momentum. Um, a good win at the weekend against Kilmarnock gets us back on track after the disappointment of Easter Road. A win at Tannadice on Saturday would, one, be funny as fuck to put United back in the mud, but two a real statement about our intent to try and build on things. It'd be a first away win from home that isn't in McDermott Park or the Tony Macaroni for, I don't know how fucking long it's been now. I can't even be arsed going back to the archives to look at it. Too long is A long answer. time. Um, so that would be a real boost you'd imagine to, well, to the squad and to Jim Goodwin. Um, we'll have Liam Scales and Leighton Clarkson back available from suspension. Um, so I'm presuming we're going to go back to something we're kind of more used to seeing than what we saw at the weekend. I presume we go back to a kind of 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. It would seem to me that I, that I reckon Scales comes back in, McCrory pushes back up in the centre of the park, which means it's Kennedy or Watkins who probably has to look at dropping out. I think Watkins has probably played his way into the starting lineup. We touched on it in the review of the game um, from the weekend. But can you drop Kennedy? after what was a good performance the weekend. You know, uh, can you fit both these guys back into the team with McCrory coming back in? I think that's a good question. It's really tough. I mean, McCrory does a decent job in the defence, but I don't think anyone wants to see him there, especially when we're talking about if that looks like a pretty soft centre midfield yeah. sort of combo, then it'd be lunacy not to have McCrory in there because you'd expect him to just boss that. Scale's been tidy enough so far, so I don't feel like... Uh, we're weaker by him coming back and shuffling around. So I expect that to happen. And to be honest, I feel like whether it's Watkins or Kennedy, whoever is out has a right to feel aggrieved. But I I just think it's just going to be the way it's... It's just going to be the way it is. I, I can't see him. I don't really know how you'd shoehorn them both I don't think you get them both then. I don't think you get them both in and, and maybe, I mean, I guess, whichever one misses out on the assumption that one of them will miss out they're probably going to be frustrated and you know and rightfully so because they were both they were both good uh, on Saturday so I feel a little sorry for whichever one misses out but someone's going to I think because you're you're going to have scales back you're going to push McCrory into midfield so that's just the way it goes absolutely anyway look listen um that was kind of our take on United um but as always what do we know not much <laughs> thank you um so we caught off from David, United fan from the Football Beer and Punk Rock podcast to get his take on where things have gone wrong so far for United this season and uh, what we can expect on Saturday. David Hennessy from the Football Beer and Punk Rock podcast. How's it going, mate? I'm all right, mate. I'm still a bit depressed from sitting at Tardis yesterday, but uh, yeah, I'm all good. Thanks very much for having me on. No, listen, hey, the, the pleasure is all ours. And um, yeah, you just touched on it. Um, we're going to hear to talk about Dundee United for a little bit. Um, <laughs> what's what's going wrong, David? Let's, let's, let's start it just there. Let's, how else do you start this? Uh, well, we had Tam Courts and then we didn't have Tam Courts. We had Jack Ross. We beat Alkmaar. We're still the only team that beat Alkmaar this, this season, I think. Uh, and then we got scudded from Alkmaar. 
took nine from Celtic and we didn't have a manager anymore. Uh, Jack Ross was gone. I think it was uh, 10 weeks. And then so was it as, as long as 10 weeks? <laughs> I think it might have been, I think it was just under 10 weeks. Okay. Um, and then William Fox obviously was given the gig um, under, apparently there was interviews held. You know, I'm not here to judge. Um, and he's he's now the manager. And it's pretty it's pretty grim stuff. I, I, I try and I try and not sound like I've been kidnapped when I talk about United these days. But it's I it's 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 grim. It's shades of unfortunately. I'm, I'm trying to find a positive, and I'm I'm struggling to find one right now. We only scored our I think it was our second. In fact, it was our first home first home like, goal. Yeah, first home goal yesterday. And I, it's it's just not good enough with with the, with the money that's been spent and the players that are there. It's 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 very very grim view and the teams you know the team is so disjointed. It's there's no balance. Um, we I, I had a look at the stats. We apparently we put in nine tackles yesterday, and I'm like, well, I think it was many as nine. You know, it's nine. Just, it's Jesus. grim. Everyone's like just basics. Like there's just we can't defend. You know guys that you really need to rely upon to kind of bring you into a game aren't really doing that. There's no there's no movement, there's no width. Um it's making very good players look, you know, really, really poor. Um and it could it could ruin careers, really. You know, one one kind of but the part I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just I don't know if it's off the park. I mean I'm maybe I'm maybe um I don't want to speculate too much there, but there's something not right somewhere. Um and it's it's obviously it's on the park that it's we're all we're all suffering for it. So, Come on, let's let's speculate. Yeah, That's what we're here to do. Come on, David. Come on. <laughs> you want Come the on. Shoot, you want the dirt. You want the dirt. We uh, want the dirt. We want the dirt. It's like Motley Crue's autobiography. That's what we want. I mean, let's um let's let's. There's so much to unpack just in that opening salvo, David, for me there. I mean, let, yeah, let's yeah. let's look at like Jack Ross for for start off, right? So, what were your thoughts about Ross when he got the job? First of I, all. I was excited. I was really yeah. excited. I thought it was, you know, Premier League manager, had a bit of experience in England. Uh, I wasn't a fan of his, card, his sort of cardies and things like that. That was a bit too much for me. Tweed jackets and that. Um, the shorts were nice. The shorts were good. Aye, yeah. Especially with that moon boot. He suited that. Um, <laughs> but I was excited. I thought that was a great appointment. I actually sat like in the pub. I remember saying it. I was like, this is one of the best appointments. Like, this is the most excited I've been about an appointment for, for a while. Probably since Levine, really. Okay. And I just and Alkmaar, I mean, I was, you know, buzzing. We were phenomenal that night. Like and we were everywhere, you know, it was a like United like European nights just the next thing. <laughs> I was like, again, I couldn't have foreseen this at all. I could not have foreseen this, especially with the players that we have at our disposal. I would never have thought we'd be in this position right now. There's a lot of um I, I I'm I talked about it earlier on in our own preview of United, but for me there's like real similarities between United this season so far from what I can see in Aberdeen last season just on and off the park from a certain extent I mean you spoke about there about like Liam Fox getting the job with allegedly interviews having taken place it's very similar to the story that Aberdeen fans were fed about Stephen Glass last season that he was the outstanding candidate through the interview process and stuff and you're like come on we don't like button up at the back we know for a fact that there's not really been a, a process here you've, you've given the gig to somebody and that's you know you're a bit like just front up about it I mean is that the kind of same place you guys feel as well about the Liam Fox appointment? Because it does seem to me that that's what's happened here, or they've not been able to attract any sort of candidate who they really would. There's two. There's two parts to unpack there. So, with regards to United, are you know a big club to an extent, um, especially in in the SPL, it would be a gig that a lot of people would probably want. 
you know, really, if you're an up-and-coming manager, that's a that's a that's a job you would want to go and yeah. try and make a name for yourself. Um, I wouldn't be surprised right now if people weren't interested, like given what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Other side of the coin, why is my 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 theory with this was William Fox was hired. Why was he not hired last season? Why was he not hired ahead of courts? If he's the man now, why is he the man just now? Why wasn't he the man, you know, when courts was here? Yeah. Um, you know, would he have got the job if he wasn't the assistant manager as well? Would we have went out our way to go, you know, we're gonna hire him if he had nothing to do with the club at all? Um, that would have been another that would have been another kind of thought in my mind. It's just and he can't, you know, no disrespect, I, I'll back, I will back him. You know, I'm not, it's not the guy's fault. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it is, it does feel like he's been set up to fail, if I'm honest with you. And I think that, you know, I can't, I honestly can't see where, I, I just don't see who we're going to beat. Because if you're talking about, and no disrespect to, you know, Justin Johnson, St. Lovins, um, I'm not even going to say Livingston because it's fucking hard to beat them, even though we've done it in the cup. <laughs> um, but if you're not going to beat these teams, who are you going to go and beat? Because, I don't see us even creating or, you know, looking like we're going to score a goal. To be honest, that's what Aberdeen are here for, though. Like, <laughs> like how many times, especially last season, this season already, we've been like, well, we're waiting to play this team and like they've not done X and they've not done Y, so this should be like a, this should be a, a good opportunity for us to get like three points away from home. It's just not happened. Last season, we, like, last week, we spoke about the Kamarnik game previews. Like Kamarnik haven't scored a goal from a um, from a set piece yet this season. What did they do at the weekend? They score from a corner kick. You know, Aberdeen are here to kind of solve all of your worries. Um, the thing I was quite intrigued by what you said as well, earlier on, I think before we started recording, was about the lack of balance in the United team as well at the moment. And I'll be honest, I've I've watched very little of Dundee United this season. I watched the majority of the, the 9-0 game, um, which on one hand, I just want to say is just an aberration and that's just what it was that day. Um, everything else I've seen from United this season, apart from the, the Alkmaar home game, I kind of feel the same way whenever I watch them. There's just this lack of, I don't know, like you say, balance or kind of understanding about the kind of shape or what the team are trying to do. In a, in a weird way, again, it feels very similar to Graham. You could back me up on this one. It feels very similar to what Aberdeen were doing last season, where you've got a, a squad which has been assembled not on the cheap. Like you've 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 brought in some decent players who'll be on big wages, but it feels like the balance is just not there at all. Yeah, this is all very similar. Money reasonable sum of money spent whether it was fees and or wages and for most of that season we were looking at thinking I don't think these guys are necessarily bad players I mean we've had bad players and bad squads in the past and that wasn't the case for most of last season that's not how I felt but yeah they just with the exception of the month of August most of them just sort of turned up and there's like 11 guys and on the pitch and it didn't really look like they had any sort of clue as to what they were supposed to be doing anytime anything went wrong which was pretty much all the time everyone was just like looking at each other like is that your guy is that my guy I have no idea what's going on here and your references to sort of no width and no balance again if you had the misfortune of watching Aberdeen last season it's literally just ball <laughs> Scott Brown off to the side back to Scott Brown off to the side there was absolutely no pace or sort of creativity and we were going to most games thinking we're unlikely to score and we're definitely going to concede. So back to your point of who are we going to beat? That was pretty much where we were for most of last season. So definite parallels. And uh, for what it's worth, I can definitely feel your pain. With regards to Scott Brown, he's exactly the kind of player that Dundee United are lacking. Like we really need 
you know, I'd kill for you. I'd kill for Scott Brown just to come up and take a couple of games. <laughs> um, just for somebody to just put a tackle in, break up the play, put their foot on the ball and actually just have a look for a pass. There's enough creative guys there as well, I would say. But again, they're just, they, they, as you say, there's no they, there's no movement. They've got the ball. There's no, as you say, there's no movement. It's just very rigid. We're so slow. We're so, there's no urgency with like set pieces. or And the set pieces, oh my God, the corners yesterday. You've got to beat the keeper. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just very turgid. It's just, it's, I I just, I, again, I, I sat there yesterday. I said, we could have played here at midnight and I still don't think we would have scored again. Like it took us so long to score that first goal and it felt like it was never going to come. I mean, good bit of play from Behitch, you know, obviously. I was slagging Tony Watt up at the time too and he, he went and scored. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping that things do improve. Uh, again, we've seen shades of it. We didn't see shades of it at Livingston because Premier Sports don't like to show those games apparently. Um, but seems, you know, it's a bit of bit of promise with the guy who signed Anuku, the Ugandan striker. Yeah. He, he showed a lot yesterday, but it felt like it was him against St. Johnston. If I'm honest with you, he was doing everything that everybody else should have really been doing. Like he was tracking his man and, you know, just doing the basics, just just a bit of, just a bit of graft. And it doesn't seem to really be that. As you say, it seems to be, there's just a lot of guys from my perspective who's, you know, paid for the season ticket, a lot of guys look like they don't want to be there. Because hmm. like, from what I can see, Fox seems to prefer like a back five or back three, depending on which way you want to kind of, slice that particular pie since he's come in but even when I look at it and you know I say I'm not an avid Dundee United watcher but even when I look at your squad I kind of sit and go I don't even know if you've got the personnel to play with a back three um and that's really odd for somebody like on the outside like me who like who doesn't watch United an awful lot but I'll sit and go back three doesn't sit with me as being the right way for United to shape up and I'm amazed he's continued with it and then especially think yesterday you played with the central midfield three of McGrath, Levitt and Harks which if I'm brutally honest doesn't strike a lot of fear in me. I mean, here's me saying this now. It'll be a goal apiece next Saturday and a romping 5-0 win for United probably. But like, it's not a, it's not a, like Levitt's obviously a quality player, but he's not a, he's not a fighter. He's not a battler. He needs people alongside him to do the dirty work. McGrath certainly isn't that type of player. Harks has never struck me as being that sort of player either. So it's like, even just that central midfield three, you're like, I can see teams just, especially in this league where you've you're got... Just, they're just going to brush. To be yeah. honest, you've seen it yesterday. We're going to talk about balance again. We're such a small... Like there's no like there's no steel in that midfield at all, mm. and you seen it yesterday. Ryan McGowan was pretty much blowing folk over because it's just and I was like folk are shouting for fouls, and I was like it's not fouls. He's just bigger than them and won the ball, and we've hit the deck, you know. And again, that's why I go back to the balance. But you're, you're totally right. I mean, regards to the back five, we for me and I, I I get fed up with managers playing players at a position because nobody's that good. Yeah, <laughs> like, not, in this league. not in this. We're league. in the SBL. Yeah, we're in the SBL. Play guys in the position. See if there's a guy that can't play in that position or we've got to move somebody to play there. I'd actually rather bring a kid in there that actually plays in that position and play them there. It's not the end of the world. You know, they'll, they'll make mistakes, but the person that's not really meant to be in that position is probably going to make just as many mistakes. Or It's just, I don't get the whole makeshift defender or whatever. You know, play guys in the positions because that's where you're going to get the best results. Uh, as a back three, we did it last season. We actually looked quite solid. Uh, it was a back three and we grew... Ross Graham had obviously come into the team and Ryan Edwards, and it did work really well because there wasn't a lot of pace between the three of them. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, yesterday, this is where it all went wrong. Liam Smith was playing as part of the back three. Um, again, not his position, you know what I mean? Uh, he he did. He, he was poor yesterday. Um, Ryan Edwards, 
aye, just Ryan Edwards is, is beginning to again. I don't want to just sit and I sound like I'm just slagging the team up, but it's probably a bit raw from from Saturday. <laughs> um, Ryan Edwards and Ross Graham aren't quick enough to be part of a for me. They're not quick enough to be part of a back two. Hmm. Um, so that wouldn't work either. They kind of have to be part of the back three. But yesterday, you know, that's how they lost the first goal. They were so far up the park. It was a ball over the top. Steve May, as much as we could slag him up, he he took the piss out of them and just ran over them. And it was a good goal he scored. But again, their defenders are pretty much almost centre circle and they're too slow yeah. to kind of catch him. It's just it's just basics. It's a really bad that first goal's a really, really bad goal. Oh, it's just yeah. it's stuff you wouldn't do at five aside. Folk would be screaming at you, you know what I mean? Um I, I don't know. We play fives on a Thursday night, and that time <laughs> shit happens a fucking lot. Like, so. Gary wouldn't have been catching him, but if Stevie May can sort of burst away from your defensive, he's not the sort of speedy player he was when he first burst onto the scene. We watched him for long enough, his pace is gone. If he's tearing away from you, that's not a good look, is it? Not at all. No. Nah. Um but we'll, we'll wait and see. As I said, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that things do change. I don't know where or how it's going to change. Um, there's just yeah, there's just because folk are trying to pick their own lineups, etc. And I'm like, yeah. I don't even know who I would pick to play. I, I don't feel like we're you know from the from the goalkeeper right up to. And again, it's not a bad team. I'm just at the stage of we kind of just keep dropping. But yeah, if we don't know what we're best eleven is at this point, it's a worry, you know. I was going to say because, like, obviously, you touched on um, yesterday. You started with the two up top with Fletcher and Anuku, 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 and obviously the Watt comes on, scores after coming off the bench. I think it's only his second goal for United. I think since he joined yeah. January, yeah. isn't it? I mean, because he's kind of scored, I'm fully expecting to see it be Fletcher and Watt against us on Saturday. I, I fully expect it to be the, the, those two up top. How's Fletcher done since he's come in? Because obviously he'll he's he's coming with you know he'll have come in with a bit of a reputation. He'll be on decent money as well. And yeah. again, everything I've seen so far, there seems to be a lot of try to hit Fletcher at the earliest opportunity and look for flick-ons or layoffs and everything. But yeah, is that working? Is that the best way for you guys to play? Um, if I'm honest with you, we're doing that I think because we're actually bypassing the midfield because we're getting nothing from the midfield. Um, Fletcher is, and he will win most headers, and he will hold the ball up. I don't think he's been particularly bad. Uh, my frustration is that we're in the box, we're not shooting, we're trying to pass the ball about in the box. For me, the amount of times I was shouting, just, just hit it, like just hit the thing. Like this keeper's not had a shot on, like just hit it. Oh, see, see how we get on. Like, and the fans are all doing the same thing. I was like, look, just have a shot if you're anywhere near the. I'm at the stage of, you know, I'm like. I'm choking to get on and just shoot myself. It's just, it's frustrating, you know what I mean? Um, but no, I don't think Fletcher, I, I keep saying, oh, who did you get next to Fletcher? I think Anuku, he provided a lot of energy. I personally would probably rather go with Anuku over what? I think you get more of a, depending on who, again, it depends on what, it's circumstantial. It depends on what team you're playing against, I suppose, and I'm no, I'm no manager, you know, obviously, but um, I think that, please, Anuku wouldn't be in my team next week. I think Anuku done an, enough to stay in the team. Uh, and I think a big game against you guys under the lights type thing. No, nah, I, I, he'd be in the team. Like, I mean, what scored? But for me personally, I don't think you get enough out of Tony Watt. I think that all the things that my Jambo pals and my, my Saints pals were saying about Tony Watt, for me, I'm seeing now. I don't feel like we're getting enough out of him. I don't feel like we get... I, I quite like the fact that he was, you know, a bit of an arrogant, you know, so-and-so, and he was a bit of a shy house, and he kind of get your fills in that, but he's not really getting us fouls. He's just constantly in the deck. He's not really got a lot of work ethic. He mm -hmm. won't really tackle anybody. Um, if he is through on goal, he kind of chooses to hit the deck rather than just maybe take the guy on because you're already that far up. 
And he's only still on the deck. We've not got the foul. We've lost the ball. And you're creating, again, you're creating an opportunity for somebody to have the ball. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. I think, you know, I was expecting a bit better, but at the same time, it was always in the back of my mind. Mm. The stories I was hearing about him. And I don't want to come in here and just bury the team because I do feel like I'm doing that a bit. But um, the bright spark yesterday, Anuku was... No, nah, he wouldn't be in the team. Uh, Archie Makerson would be in the midfield next week as well. Okay. I mean, Eskinen would be in as well. I mean, Eskinen, I don't know. Sibold as well. Guys that are, for me, guys that maybe would give your team a bit of balance aren't playing. Um, and he did make a bit of a difference yesterday. That's probably, you know, Tony Watt obviously scored the goal. Um, but these guys did make the difference. Um, but again, I'm no manager. We'll wait and see what it's, it's like on Saturday. What's the chat with Mulgrew at the moment? Because I know he, he was missing yesterday. Is he injured or is he... Uh, we don't know either, if I'm oh, honest okay. with you. I think he was outstanding. I say outstanding. He was good against Rangers last week. Um, and, you know, there's been a bit of to and throwing about, you know, he's, has he lost a bit of, like, a bit of pace and whatever? That'd be and hard. He is, never had any fucking pace. Well, that's it. Yeah. Is he is he going <laughs> to be the same player? Uh, is this his final kind of last run this season, etc.? I don't think any, I, I would I'd be feeling like it was unfair. I don't think any of the back four or three mm. or five uh, have covered themselves in glory this season. If I'm being brutally honest, there's not really been anybody I could sit there and go, he's been he's been good. Uh, like, you know, uh, the guys on the Dode Fox podcast, they, they struggle to pick a man of the match every week um, because you're, you are struggling. Like, you are at a stage of, well, who was, who was the least worst? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I feel yeah, you. I That's know. where we were last season, Graham, a lot, yeah, wasn't it? You know, just, like... Yeah, quite a lot of awards were given to people that bothered to turn up. So it's basically the fan base for enduring another 90 minutes of utter dross. Yeah. They were the, the heroes, so it can definitely relate to you. Let's let's look at Saturday then. I'm looking forward to it. Six o'clock kickoff at Tan Dice, under the lights. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a big Aberdeen support down. The shed sold out in about, I don't know, 30 minutes or something daft like that. The uh, Jack Ross compensation money, obviously, getting funded by... The Red Army this season, I think. Um, <laughs> but it should be a good one. I mean, United away for me is always one of my favourite away days of the season. It's it's just an hour down the road. It's it's always a good laugh. Looking forward to it. Under the lights, even the kickoff, always good. I mean, Aberdeen, though, our, our away form, Graham, you know yourself, I don't, we've not won anywhere apart from McDermott Park or the Tony Macaroni for about 18 months now. Yeah, so, it's been pretty grim. Our away form's horrendous. So, like, I think a lot of Aberdeen fans are looking at Saturday as being a great opportunity for us to hopefully try and get that hoodoo off of our back. But these games are never, you know, it's very rare that any side, either United or Aberdeen, comes to town and steamrolls the other side, no matter how bad or how well either side are playing. So I, I, I imagine it's going to be quite a tight, tight affair. And looking forward to it, though, what, are you, what are you thinking, Dave? What's your thoughts on Saturday? What can we expect, do you think? Uh, if I'm honest with you, I'm hoping just for a bit more graft. Uh, it is a big game. It is at night, you know, extra recovery time if you want to... Oh, that as well. Uh, I'm just hoping we'll come out and just, just, just give a bit of fight. Just look like we want to win the game. It just feels like there's no kind of urgency. Um, to, there's no real fight apart from maybe a couple of individuals. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I want to say I'm looking forward. I always look forward to going to Taradis. That's one thing I do love doing, and I love my club. And I just, yeah, I just want everybody to work as hard as uh, in my mind. If I was on there playing against Aberdeen at six o'clock you know, decent atmosphere. I'd be wanting to run through a back wall. So I'd expect, you know, 11 paid, well-played footballers to go and do the same thing. Um, I kind of, yeah, I, I'm looking, it's an odd one. Six o'clock on a Saturday. What do you guys make of that? 
whole change are you guys looking forward to or how did you feel when that kind of came out I'm alright about it to be honest I mean we had it last season we had the game at Dens in October got shifted to a 6 o'clock kickoff as well which um, was great until the game kicked off um, <laughs> and we were horrendous that evening um, that was the night that uh, we got beat 2-1 I think 2-1 Ramirez scored late on we were horrendous again similar to last season you know we went to Dundee they hadn't won a game by that point I don't think in the seat in this season and then we handed them three points I'm kind of okay with it to be honest I think a Saturday night at 6 o'clock is alright um, this was always in the calendar for me for an away trip anyway to be honest with like the kids and all that kind of stuff I have to pencil them in early doors so this was always in the calendar so this just means it gets extended out a little bit so I'm all right with it. We've got the same. We've got a game against Hibs that's been rearranged for Friday night in November, which again, I'm kind of okay with, to be honest. Um, it's not going to affect the Aberdeen away support, I don't think, at all. Um, but I don't know what we'll do. Do you think home support maybe be a bit down because of it or going to be up for it? Or It's it's a it's a tense atmosphere right now, if I'm honest with you, at Tardis. Uh, we'll keep getting managers saying we're going to give the team something to be proud of. We're going to have, yeah, we're going to have a team for you to be proud of. And we're, we're not feeling, we're just angry at this stage. We're getting to this stage where folk are just like I don't know what it is but folk will I do, and we could blame owners and whatever end of the day it's all in guys on that bark and there's a manager in there they need to deal with it you know what I mean Um, it doesn't you don't take a chairman in a, in a dressing room and tell the 11 players look come on look what you're interested you know what I mean Um, so I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different views and as to what the problem is, and there's a hell of a lot of speculation. I think, again, that's not for me. I just want guys in the part that are going to graft. Um, so I think United fans are can be again football fans can be a fickle bunch. We if we score, we'll be right behind, right behind the club. The fans have been unbelievable, you know. Uh, home and away this season, like the guys that have spent the money going to these games, and as we say, the money's it's and for yourselves, it's no. It's there to go to the football. I mean, I oh, looked at Tardis on Saturday for St. Johnson fans, 28 quid, you know, for, for that game. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the other teams across the board, it's it's kind of it's kind of becoming similar. So anyone that's putting their hand in their pocket at this day and age to go and see their club, you know, it's you know, milk power too, you know what I mean? Um, but it's, yeah, I would say the fans are the ones that are struggling the most. Uh, and I love my team, and we've got good, we've got good fans. Like we've got brilliant fans that will follow the team. Our, our away support last season was phenomenal, um, and we'll still have folk that are going to watch the club even when we are underperforming, to say the least. And I just hope for me and for the fans that we we just we just go and with a bit of fight and a bit of grit. And you know, first tag was everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's a it's a massive game actually for United with when you look at it because I hadn't realised. I think you've got us at home and then Hibs at home. Um, or your next two games, right. I think they are. Um, yeah, Hibs are also going well at the moment as well. They're they've won three in the spin. Um, although you wouldn't know it by looking at Hibs Twitter this evening, where <laughs> they just want to continually talk about Jim Goodwin. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, like for United, worst case scenario for you guys is you go. 10 games without a win potentially those two which is like starting to get into real danger territory obviously which is why I think Saturday is such a huge game for you guys the massive bonus view is the fact that Kilmarnock are fucking horrendous um, <laughs> having watched them yesterday so and you're not like you're only two points off them at the moment so it's not you've been cut adrift or anything like that but uh, these two games for you guys are huge aren't they us and Hibs absolutely massive and as you said you know in, in football as we all know anything anything can happen um, I, I'm again. I'm I'm the manager, so it's it's hard to to sit here and go. I just I am at a loss of what we can do to to change it. 
Um, we need a break, I think, maybe as well. But I hate relying on that. You know, we've got enough good footballers in there that really should be should be given a lot more. Um, and they know they're better than that. You know what I mean? I'm sure that they know that they're better than what they're currently giving us right now. Hibs, Hibs are a funny bunch because our record against Hibs isn't particularly bad. I mean, we beat them last season like comfortably yeah. uh, through Easter Road as well. Um, so it's not like we've got a horrendous record there. Or like, again, even at home, I don't think it's too bad either. Um, and they're still in a bit of a transition as well. They've kind of, you know, it feels like they've just signed every transfer window, they signed just a whole load of guys and some by accident. <laughs> um, and, you know, there doesn't there seems to be a bit of a disjointment there as well. You've got an experienced manager, Lee Johnson. Um, he seems like a bit of a ticket, but uh, he's, uh, he obviously knows the game. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I'm, it's, you know what? I just hope that we're going to both games with a bit of, a bit of fight and a bit of grit and just, again, just look like we want to go and win the game. It just hasn't, like, since the Altmar game, it just hasn't looked like we've wanted to do that. I mean, Libby, Libby again, my, my, my dad was there. I wasn't there enough. Obviously, I wasn't, I wasn't there during the week and it wasn't on, it wasn't on the telly. So I've not, I've seen the goals kind of from a strange camera angle. But that's it. Apparently, we were very good that, that night. That was the first night after uh, Jack Ross had left and William Fox took it in charge. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm going, to, I'm going in every game just going, just don't, don't concede, don't concede. But I just, I feel like, as you say yourself earlier on, eh, Graham, if you can't score and you're definitely going to concede, like, you're kind of just setting, your, you're kind of just setting yourself up for every week, you're sitting there waiting to get pumped, you know, and it's, it's no great, let's be honest. No, and then, even though people are still supportive of the, club and the team it's hard to sit there and try and rouse the team when what you want to be doing is just absolutely losing your nut at the yeah. fact that they've conceded because we weren't even conceding it's not like it was worldies every week I mean it was just utter nonsense I mean, you just literally had to put the ball in the box yeah um, and, and we were going to concede either through not getting to a second ball or just doing something daft and people were still turning up decent numbers but as soon as that happens and you see the pattern emerging against difficult to try and back the team all the way through the match and even that you know doesn't necessarily help anyone albeit it's totally understandable why why people are getting frustrated absolutely david listen let, let's wrap things up here it's been a it's been a joyous half hour i imagine for you um trailing back over what's been happening so far tonight are you going to venture a, a prediction for us though for saturday uh i'm gonna go with two all we'll go for two all I'll try and be positive because i sound like i've i sound like i've been a a very a grumpy old man on here, but yeah, I'll go for two all. Two all, I love it. Let's let's see what happens. <laughs> I can't see it, but cheers, <laughs> <laughs> David from the Football Beer and Punk Rock Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast tonight. All it's the very best. Pleasure, guys. Um, cheers. I, I was going to say for the weekend, not for the weekend, obviously, but <laughs> for the rest of the season. Um, as much as as much fun as it sometimes can be to poke at our uh, Arab friends um it's, it's not that much fun when you're not in the league to be honest with you because it's a great away day for us so listen all the best for the rest of the season and um we'll catch you on the other side cheers mate we'll catch you soon thanks very much guys so graham there we go that's um what david from football beer and punk rock podcast had to say after that conversation after our analysis what's your thoughts on saturday what are you expecting and uh, let's let's get a prediction well it's another big game another chance to score Three points. Generally, I think these these games are generally quite closely contested. 
that we touched on in the chat and from, I'm trying to think back from memory, it doesn't really matter what sort of form either team is in. The games are usually pretty, but you look at the absolute state that they are in, where they sit in the table, the performances, you know, the sort of summation that David's given, surely it's got to be three points. And anything less than that, I don't even think a point is acceptable. Personally, if it's not three points, I feel like from my personal point of view, it's another sort of step backwards for Goodwin. You know, so maybe a couple of steps forward on Saturday, getting the three points and playing quite well and we enjoyed it. We scored a few goals, but if you're just basically going to go and chuck it and lose to United, then he just goes backwards in my opinion. So I think it's a really, really important game. There's going to, obviously, there's a big Aberdeen crowd, as there pretty much always is, especially at Tanner Dice, and I'm pretty sure they will be well-oiled and vocal, create a good atmosphere. So if Aberdeen can get ahead of steam up early doors, it's going to be really tough for United because they're going to be not far off outnumbered in their own stadium. Indeed, indeed, like I say, the Jack Ross compensation money fund being done for the by the Dons fans. Who says we're not a charitable bunch after all? A uh, prediction for for Saturday. I'm going to go three one because I can't ever really say nil. <laughs> we'll give them their first set piece, but surely you've got to be looking at that and you're just not seeing past anything but an Aberdeen win. Yep, I can agree. I'm going to say um, I'm, I'm going to say we're going to keep a clean sheet. Um, Dungeon and nil Aberdeen four. The Dons are going to go nap. And it might just set up time for this to be replayed. It's a new season, but it's the same message for all the Dundee United fans. Down, down, Dundee United staying down, down, Dundee United staying down. Love it. Wagner on the ABZ Football Podcast. That wraps up the section of the ABZ Football Podcast. Join us after the break for part three of an interview with the one and only Jockey Scott. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And yes, it's that time of the year where we need to talk about Christmas. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia Bar and Hotel, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for as little as £30 per person. And it all kicks off from the 1st of November. Book early to avoid disappointment contact scott at siberia-aberdeen.com that's scott at siberia-aberdeen.com for more details Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we join on to the third instalment of our chat with Jockey Scott, we just want to give a shout out to Mark Robertson and Jamie Smith. Is it that Jamie Smith? Ooh, that'd be pretty cool if it was. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? I, I, if, it's, if it's not, and it's just some other Jamie Smith, then thank you, Jamie Smith. I don't suspect it's that Jamie Smith. He doesn't respond to our text messages. Um, anyway, thank you, Mark, Jamie, for your contributions to the ABZ football podcast beer and coffee fund this week we see you your bread's appreciated and if you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast the link is in the description shout us a beer or a coffee it is appreciated isn't it graham it certainly is i think we've said plenty of times genuinely thank you to anyone who a listens and 
is able to offer up a couple of quid is much appreciated. Absolutely. We're also ramping up our fundraising activities for the season ahead. The three of us um, are obviously committing to run Cycle Water Crawl, the 2,261 kilometres that is the distance between Aberdeen and Gothenburg by the 11th of May 2023 to mark the 40th anniversary of our famous victory over Real Madrid. If you'd like to make a donation, which will see funds split 50-50 between Aber Necessities and the AFC Heritage Trust, please head on over to justgiving.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. I feel that this has probably gone on long enough. We don't have to go into the detail about just how far ahead you are, Graham, on all of us so far on this one. Although I'm sure you're about to tell me. No, no, that's fine. If you want to pretend that the gap's large because you haven't updated it, that's fine. The gap is large because I haven't updated it. That's where we go. I suspect Gav has tried to strap his Fitbit onto the side of a plane on the way to Norway just to boost his numbers a little bit. But there we go. Uh, lastly, our Fantasy Football League is back on the Fantasy Football Scotland app. Uh, you'll find a link to our league in the main landing page on the app, or you can use the code ABZFPL to join. So let's have a look and see how we've got on this week. I, I had a funny feeling I'd done okay this week. Uh, 55 points, which is probably not great, to be honest. It still leaves me languishing in 202nd place, which is disappointing. I had 64 points. Oh, nice. And obviously, Bouchard was scored because I took him out of my team. <laughs> but I didn't take him out of my team, I sold him. And I am tied for 123rd. Okay, there we go. Well, you're still <laughs> nearly 100 places above me, so there we go. Well, um, it's not the taking part that counts, it's the beating Gary. Exactly. Um, the app, I hate to say it, the app is not exactly... It, I preferred last season's version. Yeah, it was better. So I, I can't be fucking arsed if I find where Gav is. He'll be in there somewhere. Uh, Jay Allen, 1903, with Songs of Haze. Nice, good. 106 points this week, so he's top of the table. 596, ah, but he has two of them in it, so not great. The Goat, with Goats, second. <laughs> uh, he had 77 points. Yeah, he's got them in it as well, so no luck. Stevie Cha, with Hoochie. He's got them. <clears throat> he's got them in it as well. He had 80 points. He's got a lot of, like, them and minis in there not good not good yeah. anyway there we go uh, keep on keeping on um, I need to sort out some prizes for this I really do um, we'll sort that out at some point between now and the end of the season if you've not joined the league yet go on and do it there will be some prizes there if you end up in the top three uh, I need to sort of prizes for the pub quiz first to be honest with you that's the priority right now um, but there we go anyway let's move on Time for the return of our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. And this time is part three of our chat with a true legend of Aberdeen Football Club in the form of Jockey Scott. This week, we're going to focus in on the second trophy win of that 1989-90 season as we discuss the 1990 Scottish Cup final. The last time that Don's got our hands on that famous trophy, we have to talk about that day in May at Ibrox in 1991 and we'll delve into how Jockey's time with the Dons came to an end. The great thing about the League Cup back then and I'm, I'm so delighted they've moved the League back to this format where it happens where the final happens you know before Christmas etc um, it means there's still a lot of football left to go through in the season but it must provide such a massive boost to, to, to what you can do the rest of that season. Aberdeen 
follow up that win at Hamden by acquiring uh, a certain Hans Hillhouse from PSV a, a few weeks later, a, a very special talent. How would you sum up Hans? And I guess, like I say, as a, a former striker yourself, you must have enjoyed getting to work with him on the training ground. Well, Hillhouse was one, again, who who was recommended by uh, Ton Van Dalen. Ton had, had raved about him, and we had asked how much it would, it would cost us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ton had said, well, it's going to cost a, a fair bit of money, but he's worth it. So I went over and, and, uh, and had a look at the boy uh, playing in a match. And, uh, I mean, what I saw was a player who um, movement was good. He was quick. Uh, he had a, a good spring in him. He was good in the air for his size. And he had a, a, a good shot in him. And he was always in the game. He was always a threat to the opposition defence. And, you know, he was good touch on the ball, but he could also run beyond. You know, he could mix his game up in terms of being a striker. And uh, so I came back and after seeing him play and, and uh, had a word with Alec and, um, and told Alec that, uh, yeah, we should go for him. And uh, and it was obviously then down to Alec to convince the chairman that it was he was worth going for. So Alec had a word with the chairman, uh, and I was there. The, I was involved in the discussions, but I was just sitting, and Alec was convincing the chairman <laughs> that this was a player we had to go for. And the chairman asked Alec how much it would cost him, and Alec told him. Uh, something in the region of 750,000. And the chairman turned to me and he said, is he worth it? And I said, I think so. And the chairman turned to Alec, he says, is right, go get him. And that was it. I love it. I mean, Dick Donald, not really renowned as being a man who would be loosening the, the purse strings too much, but I love the fact that was a really straightforward trust in the opinion of both yourself and Alex on this one and, and going for it. What we found, Gary, what we found with the chairman was that you had to be honest with him. If you said that to him that that player was worth uh, taking out on board into our club and that he would improve our team, the chairman didn't flinch at the money. Mm. He just said, OK, go and get him. If you're convinced he'll, he'll improve our team, go get him. And he did that all the time. He would he would question you with regards to, you know, is he good enough? Uh, what what does he bring to the team? He would never question about the money. And that what you just said just now with regards to he was never renowned. The chairman was never renowned. Uh, from the fans' point of view, mm. of putting his his hand in his pocket, but Alec Ferguson as well, I'm sure, would tell you that um, the chairman, with regards to that, was uh, different class. Yeah. Never, never questioned uh, the money side of it. All he questioned was the ability of the player and was he going to improve the team. And if you convinced him, yes, he is. Uh, and and you, you know, stuck by your convictions, 
then he would back you. It's interesting, isn't it, that kind of difference between public perception and um, the kind of reality of the situation sometimes, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was it was down to the chairman, I think, anyway. It was down to the chairman as to why all the players, your, like I say, your, your uh, Wally Mullers, your mm. Alec McLeish, uh, your Jim Bett, you know, all these players, top players, uh, stayed at Petaudry mm-hmm. and were happy to stay at Petaudry because the chairman looked after them. And, you know, he looked after all the players. Mm-hmm. But obviously, uh, you know, the bigger the player, the more he was looked after type thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and, and you know, I'm, and I'm talking financially. Yeah. And so it's, you know, a lot of it was down to him what went on and I mean I, I held him in as as being the best the best chairman I'd ever worked with. Just the way he went about you. He never he never criticized Alec or I. Uh, you know, he never asked us why did we play this player? Why did we play that player? Why did we leave this one out? He just you know and and if if we lost a game which obviously we did. He never questioned mm. the things. He would just come in and and he would, because we, you know, after every game, uh, especially a, a a home game, we would go into the boardroom after the game and and sit with the chairman and discuss the game, mm-hmm. win, lose or draw. And if it was a loss, he would always say, "Ah, well, we didn't." play as well today as normal or you know we maybe lost a bad goal or we maybe didn't score when we should have but he never questioned anything about the team how we why Mm. did we we pick that team and why did we go about it this way and he was he was absolutely brilliant to work with I think there's a lesson there potentially for some modern day chairman, isn't there, to kind of stop trying to interfere. And I can imagine you'll probably have a lot of tales, especially from your time at Dundee, potentially, which um, we'd we'd, we'd cover some of that. Let's move back, though, into just um, to that season again. So we we end up finishing second in the league again to to Rangers, but all eyes have kind of really turned to Hamden once again, a Scottish Cup run that sees us beat Park Thistle, Morton, Hearts, and Dundee United in the semi-final to set up the the season showpiece final with Celtic at Hamden. Now, let's be honest, we don't need to talk about that game too much because it was absolutely terrible. But as the game winds down towards the penalty shootout, what are the discussions going on like between... It's just yourself and Drew on the bench as well, isn't it? If this one, Alex Smith suspended. Well, obviously we knew... Uh, well, as, as it was coming to the end of the game, we knew it had to go to penalty kicks. Hmm. We had an idea as to, to who the penalty kickers would be. You know, they would step forward to take the first the first five, mm-hmm. which obviously are, are the important ones uh, because you don't expect it to go to go past five. Um, so that part wasn't a problem. Uh, but then when it came to right, we're into six, we're into seven, <laughs> we're into eight. Or in the night, and I, I must admit that when it came down to 
Big Brian going out to take the penalty kick. We, <laughs> I wouldn't say we weren't confident that he was going to score, but we just didn't know what to expect. But Big Brian, all credit to him, took it and he stride and you know and went out and and won the game for us, won the cup for us with his penalty kick. And uh, I mean, it was great. It was great for him and great for the club because Big Brian's another one who was a big, quiet boy who maybe didn't really believe in himself. Mm. The interesting one as well from this is uh, Brian Irvin plays a really important role in the run to the final. He scores in the quarterfinal against Hearts. He scores in the semi-final against United as well. So it's not just the final that Brian Irvin, you know, needs to be remembered for in terms of the run to the Scottish Cup that that season. He had important parts to play there, and it's it's funny, isn't it? You, you talk about it. You look through the the team again that day, and you look through the penalty takers when you get to that six, seven, eight, nine period. We've spoken to Stuart McKimmy. We've spoken to Davy Robertson. You know, neither of them had ever taken a penalty kick in professional football before they stepped up to take that one that day. Um, Graham Watson, obviously, a young lad thrust into it with the the Celtic support going wild does brilliantly to stick his one away uh, and then big Brian Irvin like you say puts his one to, to save us at least having to go to the goalkeepers um, which I think was probably just for the best in a way is it a bit is it a bit of an anticlimactic way to win a cup final the penalty shooter or is it just a case of you know you get the win and that is absolutely all that matters it's possibly not the best way to win games mm-hmm. Uh, but what what do you do? Do you continue playing until <laughs> someone scores? Yeah, I know, Which I know. Mean you could be playing for a couple of days. It, it, it is a difficult situation. Do you come back and play another cup final? I don't think that would be on the cards. So when it does come down to that situation, uh, then obviously your focus is on you know making sure that the players are confident about going out in the pitch you try and tell them look come on you can do it there's not a problem you you know you've taken penalties in training you've taken penalties before you know what to do just hit the back of the net and I mean I know from my own experience of taking penalty kicks it's uh, it can be a daunting uh, situation but it's you and the goalkeeper and it's just a case of see the ball, hit the back of the net, and then move on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it was all credit to, more so to the guys who were six, seven, eight, the ninth, as opposed to the ones that were in the, the first five. Because mm-hmm. they were the ones that were, were always going to be there anyway. Yeah. At the end of the day, Gary, you, you, when you've got the cup in your hands, you don't care how you got it. <laughs> You got it, and that's all that matters. I was going to ask, when did it sink in for you, do you think, like the achievement of winning a, a cup double, um, especially considering you have to beat both halves of the old firm um, at that time in each of the finals, which I think just adds an extra bit of, I don't know, sparkle to it, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, it's always it's always something special uh, when you're beating the old firm. I mean, because... You know they've they've always been the top two teams in the in the country, and they're the ones that you know you're trying to beat. If you want to win the league, you've got to beat them. 
Mm-hmm. And Fergie used to tell the, the players at Pretoria that if you want to win the league, then you've got to go down to, to Parkhead. You've got to go down to Ibrox and you've got to win down there and show them that how good you are and that's how you win the league. And he, he's right. Too many teams go down to Parkhead, go down to Ibrox throughout the years, even when I first started playing. Uh, and, you know, the, the, they went down to play, but not confident they could get a result. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Fergie had the, the, the Aberdeen players convinced, you're down there, you're going to win the game. And then, I, that, I mean, that came through uh, repeatedly whenever we played uh, Rangers and Celtic, mm-hmm. whether it was down at their patch or whether it was at Petodre. I mean, I, I remember uh, sitting with Jim Bett one day before the game, uh, done the team talk, they had gone out, done their warm-up, came back in, and I'm going round, you know, you go round the players and have a wee word with them and, right, come on, and I remember saying it to Jim Bett one day down at Parkhead, right, today, do not allow McStay to run the show. You make sure that everybody sees that you are a better player than him. Mm-hmm. And Jazzer just looked at me and, and shook his head and just smiled. And <laughs> as if to say, what are you telling me that for? I already know it. Yeah. And he went out and honestly, he ran the show from start to finish. You know, it's just good players. Muller, McLeish, you just tell them, don't lose any goals today. And I mean, they do their job. They do it themselves. So when it you know when it comes to cup finals, as I said earlier, they they all these players had been there before. Mm-hmm. They knew how to handle it. But then it that one it, it took a a boy who hadn't played many cup finals, uh, Brian Big Brian to win it for us, which was great great fairy tale. Absolutely, um, and unbelievably, it will be a minimum of uh, 33 years until the Scottish Cup makes its way back to Petaudry. Um it, it's, it's almost scarcely believable that we, we haven't won it again since then. Um, going into that next season, though, I mean, we kind of touched on it there. I mean, you've beaten both halves of the old firm now in showpiece finals, got silverware back in the cabinet. I, I'm presuming, I'm again, I, I'm sure I know the answer to this one, but the focus here is going to be trying to go one step further and try to wrest that league title away from Rangers. Yeah, that that was the goal, but that was the goal uh, at the start of of each of the seasons uh, that we were there. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to win uh, win cups, but the big trophy is the league. And uh, I mean, it had been a long time, you know, before Fergie had won it. It'd been a long time since. Uh, that Aberdeen had won it uh, mm-hmm. previously, which was a way a long time ago. But then, as I said, the players got in the habit of winning it, uh, winning the league, winning a league cup, winning cup, a Scottish cup. That when they didn't win it, anything, you know, after Fergie left, uh, until we won uh, the 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 league the league cup, mm-hmm. then you could see that the the. Uh, the the disappointment in the players that because they you know they thought they 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 were good enough to do it and then all of a sudden 
uh, well on the day they didn't. I mean, that season's quite a, it's quite a funny one in a way because our League Cup defence ends in the semi-finals. Uh, Rangers beat us 1-0 in that one. Motherwell beat us in round three the Scottish Cup in what was kind of the biggest shock of the round, I think, that season. And after that game, it looks like the season's kind of starting to drift away. I think we end up being, I think we're about seven points behind Rangers at this point in the season. And then suddenly we go on this unbelievable run from that Scottish Cup defeat, unbeaten in 12 league games. 11 of them are wins. We only drop points at, at home to Dunfermline. A 2-1 win over St. Johnston on the 4th of May means that Aberdeen travel to Ibrox the following week, top of the league, knowing a point's good enough to secure a first league title since 1985. Now, Jockey, there's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of things said um, about this game since that day in 1991. In that run to the to, 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 to the final game at Ibrox, we'd been fairly consistently playing in a kind of 4-3-3, but we appeared to switch to a slightly more conventional 4-4-2 on the day. Um, not to say that this is the reason that things don't work out, but I'm kind of more just interested to understand what was the thinking behind the switch and were you personally in favour of that, given the kind of co-manager relationship and all that kind of good stuff? Well, we we had uh, all week, Alec and I had discussed uh, with regards to, uh, along with Drew, had discussed uh, how we would go about the game, uh, uh, what we needed to do uh, down at Ibrox. We knew it was going to be difficult because the Ibrox fans weren't going to make it easy for us yeah. uh, and all that kind of thing. And we thrashed out between us uh, various teams, various formations. And then we, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we, we decided uh, on the team that we picked uh, and decided on the, the the way we'd go about it. And... Uh, and we went out, and the thing that the 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 couple of things that I think uh, a lot of people forget is that in the first twelve minutes we could have been two not two nothing up. Yeah, Hillhouse and Van de Ven have yeah unbelievable chances. Great chances uh, to to tuck the, the the ball away in the net. Uh, they don't do it, and then a cross comes into our box. And Michael Watt, who had to take over from Theo because Theo had an injury mm-hmm. and couldn't play. Uh, Michael comes for a cross and Hately, no intention of going for the ball. And he just gave an elbow into to Michael's face. And for me, that was one of the biggest uh, disappointments where the referee... And I can understand the situation. It's a, uh, I mean, 50-odd thousand Rangers supporters uh, and there's no way he's going to send them off, which he should yeah. have done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, a definite ordering off. Had it been at the other end, the Aberdeen player would have been off the park. Yeah. That would have been a set. Uh, and then five minutes later, lo and behold, across from the, the left side, Hately, up again, Michael never came for the cross. Mm-hmm. We lose the goal. And I'm convinced that if uh, if the referee had done his job uh, properly, 
you know, we wouldn't have lost that first goal anyway. Yeah. That's for sure. Because Haley wouldn't have been on the pitch. But Michael would have been a lot more confident about coming for crosses uh, than he was after that first one. Do you think as well the game's maybe different if Theo's in goals as well? I don't think he's, you know, Michael's a, a really young keeper at this point. You know, the Rangers just Haley in particular try to do the same thing to Theo, oh, do you yeah. think? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, to be honest, had it been the opposite end uh, and Rangers had played a, a, a young yeah. goalkeeper, uh, we would have been saying the same thing. Yeah, we Alec and I would have been saying, right, get crosses on top of the goalie, get in on top of him and make him uncomfortable. I mean, we, we wouldn't have been saying to go and do the goalkeeper yeah, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think uh, Walter and Archie would have said that to Haley, but he he did it. Mm-hmm. And if you look back on the film, you can see he's, he's no intention of going for the ball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he and, and he just flattens Michael, and you know that that was a big blow because, as I said. Michael wasn't the same after that, mm-hmm. and but it's the, it, the also the other thing I said that we had two great chances in the first twelve minutes, and I, I, you know people going about <laughs> like you said yourself, Gary, about the formation, about the team. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, formations don't win you games; uh, players win you games. Uh, and we had two great opportunities uh, to score early on, which we didn't do. Yeah, and the game's completely different um, at that. You can sense how the atmosphere at Ibrox would have, you know, what would have happened if, if we go 2-0 up with oh, 12 yeah. minutes gone, for example. Definitely. Think about the the, the 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 confidence boost it gives to our team, who are on an unbelievable run at this point as well. Exactly. Um, it's quite funny because, like, we, you know, it is one of these things that gets thrown around about the formation and, and the choice of lineup and that. But I mean, <laughs> we, we've spoken to a few of the guys who played that day, and, you know, certain members of them can't even remember the fact that the formation got changed, for example. You know, it, it didn't register with a lot of them that this was a big change, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it seems, I think, for a lot of people that this becomes a, a stick to beat people with in a way. Whereas, like you say, if if Hillhouse and Van de Ven in particular in the opening twelve minutes uh, put their chances away, the game is very very different. Um, every player that we've spoken to who played in this game, you know, puts it down as being the the lowest point in their playing career. Um, for you, where where does this one rank in kind of your in your footballing career as a whole to have come so close to winning the title to have it taken away? Well, obviously it was a a a, a big big blow. I mean, I. Uh, as you said earlier, uh, that you know I'd, I'd been involved in, in, in winning trophies at Petodre. This was the big one, the league. I had never been anywhere near winning a league championship uh, until I went to Petodre, and this was the third third year that we were runner up to Rangers. Uh, and yeah, it just. Uh, uh, it felt, uh, you know, a right bummer. And just the way that it all happened. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, it was, it, it would have been, well, possibly one of the worst 
days in my career. And it must have been incredibly difficult. You know, there there's experienced players still in that Aberdeen squad at this time, but it must have been incredibly difficult to try and raise spirits and morale going into the next season after what happens there. Um, and it, it kind of shows a little bit, I think, in the early running of the following campaign. Um, Airdrie knock us out of the League Cup in the third round before there's the the infamous defeat at home to BK1903 Copenhagen. Uh, shortly after the home leg, Jockey, you make the decision to move to Dunfermline to take over um, at East End Park. They were kind of struggling in the Premier Division at this moment in time. What was it that prompted you to decide it was it was time to move on? And I guess in hindsight, do you do you regret leaving when you did, or is it just it's just one of these things? It's like life's too short for regrets and all that kind of good stuff. No, I I, I mean it was definitely uh, obviously this the, in hindsight uh, definitely the the stupidest decision I made <laughs> to leave at the time. It was a situation where. Uh, without going into details, it was a situation where um, Alec and I had sat down at the start of the season to discuss the, the, the season forthcoming. I had put one or two things to Alec, but Alec saw saw things different uh, to the way that I was putting it. And basically, I was disappointed in, um, in the outcome of our discussions, and uh, so I had it in my head that uh, well, I'm better away from here than uh, than staying here. And then uh, I got a word that Dunfermline were interested, and would I be interested in going? And without saying yes, I would be interested. I, I just said, well, uh, they you know they would have to approach. Uh, and and it would depend on whether I was allowed to speak to them or not. Mm-hmm. And I was, and everything was done then at, at uh, in haste. And uh, it was definitely a move I should never have done. Uh, but again, all that was in hindsight. Uh, you think you think when you go into a job, uh, you can do better than the guy before, mm-hmm. and. It turned out that one was a, a difficult one, uh, which I, I, I hadn't, um, I didn't, I didn't quite see prior to taking the job, but um, but that was my fault, and um, that was me possibly getting punished for <laughs> for leaving Petodre and and going there in the first place. <laughs> um, all in all, your spell as as co-manager. Um, Aberdeen saw 151 games in total. Don's winning 83 of those. So it's a win percentage of 55%, losing only 28 games. That winning percentage is behind only Billy McNeil and Alex Ferguson in terms of Aberdeen managers who've had a minimum of 10 games under their belts. After a couple of seasons with Dunfermline, you've then got spells managing our growth, a couple of further spells with Dundee, obviously, Notts County, Wraith Rovers, a spell and caretaker charge at Plymouth and Hibs before you finished up on the managerial side of things with a year at Sterling Albion, before you came back to Aberdeen as first-team coach under Craig Brown and Archie Knox in 2012. It was just a short-term thing, but um, how did that come about? And um, what did you end up actually kind of really doing that period? You were kind of really working with the young guys in the first team, weren't you? Well, I ended up not doing a lot, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, it was just a, a, a situation that Craig had, had, uh, had asked me to come in and work with the strikers. So I, I said, yeah, I would, I would do that gladly. Um, but then when I went up, uh, like I, I, would, I was in, I think it was three days a week. And when I went in uh, after a couple of days, it was decided that for me to work with the, the, the youngsters rather than the, the first team players. Um, I think Archie must have thought that I was trying to take his job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that that I didn't really have a position mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, you know a, a first team coach or a, or a coach or whatever. It was just that uh, Craig had asked me to come in, and I was delighted to to go and and uh, and work because the biggest thing I enjoyed. And all the clubs I worked with, and uh, regardless of the standard of player I worked with, uh, I, I enjoyed on the training pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that was the the best part of the day. Obviously, that when I was a co-manager at Petodre, working with the, the standard of player I was working with, that was a joy to to um, to work with that kind of quality. And certainly, I mean, like I said earlier on, you know, every player we've spoken to who who worked under yourself, whether that's at, at Aberdeen or like Gavin Ray, for example, at Dundee, and then uh, Gavin would have still been at, at Petodre, I think, when when you came back in twenty twelve. You know, they all speak extremely highly about your kind of um, your 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 style, your 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 coaching, your management style, and, and you as a person jockey. So I think it stands the the test of time as far as that's concerned. Um, listen, jockey, it's it's been brilliant couple of sessions to talk to you about your incredible career with Aberdeen I mean we could have been here for days talking about your entire career and with everything that happened with you you'd need need a whole week for that (laughs) (laughs) I know absolutely but it's an Aberdeen podcast I know you did one recently with the boys at Dundee which is well worth a listen to as well if anyone does want to delve into some of the stuff that happened at Dundee when you were there um jockey look we'll finish off with one last question if you don't mind um it's one that we ask every single one of our guests who are on the show. Um, and I'm really interested to hear your answer to this one. Um, so I'm just going to lay out. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Oh, a big, uh, 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 an awful lot. I mean, uh, I went there as a, as a kid. I was, I was in training with Terry Scott uh, when I was 12 uh, at Petodre until... Um, I think that was until I uh, I was 14, 15 and then got into the, the Scottish schoolboys and then uh, other clubs started coming, sniffing about uh, wanting me to, to sign for them uh, so I mean I, I, my involvement with Aberdeen was, was early on uh, then you know coming back to to play for them, uh, and then coming back and and uh, and being able to coach them, and during the two spells, the playing side and the the management side, having a little bit of success, um, you know, made it worthwhile. And yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, you know, since since giving up the football, I don't uh, support like a, a football fan I don't support any one club but I obviously I, I look for the results of uh, Aberdeen Football Club 
as well as Dundee Football Club. Uh, and I'm always asking, you know, like Drew uh, still goes to the games uh, at Petordre. So I'm always asking him uh, how they've been doing and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So I, I still take an interest in what's going on up there. They definitely are, are a big part of my career. And uh, I'm grateful that I was uh, I was able to uh, work there, and obviously grateful that I, I was able to make a contribution of you know small sorts. Oh, jockey, not just small sorts. Um, I think you're being very very modest with that one. But listen, it's been brilliant talking to you. Like we really really appreciate the time. It's been fantastic. It's been it's been great fun. Um, like I said to you earlier on. My earliest memories of, of following Aberdeen Football Club are from the late 80s. Yourself and Alex Smith and that team of the late 80s, early 90s is, you know, the, the first go-to for me. So it's been a, a real joy for me to get a chance to talk with yourself as well over the last couple of weeks. Um, all I can say again is, is thank you so much, Jockey, for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast and stand free. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Thanks a lot, Jockey. Top man. Thank you. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 65, where Gav will be back. Craft beer wanking all over the place, I imagine. We'll review our trip to Tanadice. We'll preview the visit of Hearts to Pataudry in the company of one of the multitude of jambos on a view from the terrace in the form of Craig Fowler. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!